Yowza, 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 indeed. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Matt Kennedy, one half of the five films from podcast here. Wanted to take a second today before Todd and I get started on the episode to say thanks for listening. And to ask that if you've been enjoying the show, make sure you like, subscribe, and maybe even leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Doing that's going to really help us to connect with more movie-loving listeners just like you. Also, we wanted to give y'all an update on some of the stuff we're working away on for Season 2. Got a lot of good episodes lined up real soon. For example, uh, Todd's currently editing our two-part season premiere on five films from... It's actually going to be ten films from the two-parter. We're going to be doing Brian De Palma. We'll also be gonna getting into some more idiosyncratic stuff with guys like Stuart Rosenberg and Larry Cohen, as well as you know real Hollywood legends like Robert Altman and fan favorites like John Landis and Tony Scott. Again, be sure to subscribe so you can be among the first to hear all of our newest five films from content as soon as it drops. Totally. Lastly, if you're still listening, <laughs> be sure to be on the lookout for our upcoming Patreon feed. We'll be offering all kinds of bonus episodes, things like double features, commentary tracks, etc. 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 And special things like five films from directors who have only made one film and five films from the 70s disaster movie genre. Absolutely. So yeah, a lot of things lined up, good things on the horizon for FFF. And yeah, that's all I got for you. Enjoy the show. With Mac Kennedy and Todd Edmondson. And now we're going to talk about five films from Jonathan Demme, aren't we? Yep. Cool. I'm Todd Edmondson. And I'm Matt Kennedy. And we're going to start with 1979's Last Embrace. This movie uh, is not like a movie that I think is very well known, uh, especially like out of Jonathan Demme's filmography. It's kind of a more obscure one. I think I consider it like a, a Hitchcockian thriller, right? Sort of. I absolutely, absolutely do too. Homage. To... I didn't know it at all, and I'm a huge Roy Scheider fan. Yeah, it's. I, in Janet Margolin, uh, I would have watched it. Who I've never day, seen but... in anything else, so she's in good. News. Yeah, the only thing I can off the top of my head remember is that she's in Three Women by Altman. She's oh, okay. uh, one of the three women. I have not seen that one. That's an Altman movie I've not watched. Yeah, that's. <laughs> it's a strange one. Okay, well... It's really good. Really good. Um, so, yeah, Last Embrace, uh, it's got Hitmickless Rosa, so it's got that Hitchcockian era music behind it. It's based on The 13th Man, which is a book, apparently, not that I read. Never heard of it. Um, yeah. And it really has... Uh, it really has that kind of Hitchcock feel, but it's got, like, this tempo. There's a... It moves really fast. It moves really fast. Yeah, yeah it doesn't let any grass grow under its feet. I, at all. Like especially the the beginning of the movie, the sort of first forty five minutes or something. It's so heavily stylish, and all the shots are so kind of dynamic, and the camera never stops moving. Yeah, no, it's, it never stops. You, you you've got Roy Scheider as um, it, it's very cryptic. 
character. He's coming back from uh, what's he coming back from? His now? wife was killed when they. Well, that's an, right. In the beginning of the movie, his wife was killed. Kind, or so, you know, yeah, and, by and some so, big goonie. Joe Spinell and a couple other guys. Yeah, Joe Spinell yeah. was one of them. <laughs> Uh, no lines for Joe, but yeah, he he and two other guys killed Roy Scheider's wife in Mexico, and then I guess from there it goes to like a rehab facility where he's trying to like get his mind right and go back to the job. Right, and he has terrible tremors and weird like kind of so attacks. A, a lot of attacks. like jo- the Jaws two Roy Scheider is doing a lot of that kind of <laughs> freaking out acting, like he's super on edge and heavy duty. Uh, that's what it reminded me of a lot. Yeah. Who sent you? Hey, come on. It was a guy in a blue suit. He wasn't within 10 feet of you. And he goes back to his job, which is some kind of... He's sort of in the CIA, but it, of, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, some, it's it's a company, an unnamed government company. Christopher Walken is Run his boss. Fresh off the Oscar, Christopher Walken must have been. Oh, um, yeah, that's got, right. He got the and credit. It was and Christopher Walken. And he's in the movie for maybe 30 seconds. But it, yeah, he and got it wasn't big very... glasses on and he's doing this thing like you weren't supposed to come back. No, no. <laughs> Why do you make me say things to you? He's, he's got a couple of really good Walkenisms, even though he's only in the movie for a second. But basically he goes in and, and meets with Christopher Walken. and Well, Hannon, this is very embarrassing. You barge in here with some story about somebody trying to shove you off a platform. You see who it was? No. Anybody else see who it was? No. And you half hint, we were behind it. Somebody did it. Couldn't be. Nobody knew you were getting out. Very sweet, getting out. You couldn't say coming back. He tries to get his assignment at a makeup counter, but it's blank, right? Right, and, uh, it's like a, it looks like a little fortune cookie yeah. thing. It's mm-hmm. nothing on it. He, uh... He goes to his apartment, and Janet Margolin is already living there. Yeah, and the, like they've rented out his apartment pretty much. Uh, they R- cut him loose. Him off. They yeah. cut him loose. Yeah, yeah, they wrote him off totally. And yeah. eventually, they do try. They send Charles Napier to try to kill him, which is part right. Of the movie. And yeah. so Charles Napier is following him around, and he goes to his wife's grave and and uh, confronts him, cool and it's his wife's series. brother, right? That's right. Napier's character yeah. is yeah, but. There's a great series of shots, too, where Roy Scheider first turns around and pulls his gun on him. And oh, it's... yeah. You're careless with people, Harry. And one of these days is going to catch you. Poor Harry. You even got the sun at your back. Eckerd wanted me to check you out, that's all. See if you're ready to go back to work. Yeah, Rocky Yard. And you can't blame me for thinking that you Harry, if I wanted you dead, you think you'd be walking around here? No way, man. You'd be lying over there with my sister. The rest of the Hannon. Classic John the Demi. He does stuff like this all the time, where it's these, like, the camera is slowly panning along, like, in front of their faces, but it cuts, you know, first it's Ray Scheider's face, then it's Napier's face, and they're looking at each other, so it's... Just back and forth, super close-ups. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh, yeah. I know, I know. It's it's like a it's like a um, it's like a um, Leone. That's yeah, what that's I, okay, right. Sergio Leone. Leone. You said yeah, Leone, that's what and I didn't hear you. Anyway, that's Sergio Leone puts you like you know at, right at the end of somebody's nose. Yeah, practically. Yeah, that's a cool effect. Uh, he does it all the time. It's all over Philadelphia too. It's yeah, this, I would notice that this Ooh. great way of like creating uh, just emotions 
between the two characters because it's like their eye lines are always the same. So it gives the impression that they're staring at each other. And it's almost <laughs> like you're in a three-way staring contest with these actors. And it, it's I always think it's really creates immediate suspense when he does stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, Silence yeah. of the Lambs. It's all over. As a well. lot. Of, yeah. yeah, all the actors looking into the camera is mm-hmm. really really effective. I, I think that's a great touch that uh, yeah. all over John and Demi's movies. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> What I noticed too, funny because I'm the, the music geek, is um, the the opening scene at the restaurant where the gunmen come in. There's a violin player playing. Later on, he goes back home. There's a violin player playing in the street. That's and you know talk about a thing that is unique in John and Demi movies is many times and. He'll the music in his movies won't be like a diegetic soundtrack. It'll just or a non-diegetic soundtrack. Right. It'll be people playing music in yeah, the movies. Yeah, yeah, I it's love that. All over something wild, also. Absolutely, it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's there's so many cool touches. That's why I think he's such a unique director. Is things like that that in movies that are nothing to do with each other, but <laughs> these little things and background characters. Yeah, like, yeah. Ron Schneider, these guys are just wearing Shriner's fezes, like, off to the side. Like, there's always... I noticed it right away <laughs> when they walked by. That was hilarious. Always these, like, background characters. Um, one time I was... And this... I told Henry this story when I was at, a, like, a rest stop on the... Just on the turnpike. And I was, like, I peed and washed my hands, whatever. And the guy next to me, like, I looked up and we're both in the mirror... And it's just this guy, no instrument, but a full-on mariachi outfit. <laughs> and, and I'm looking around, like, is there a band or something? But no, it was just this one guy. Oh, man. And I immediately said, this is, like, something out of Melvin and Howard or something out of any Jonathan Demi movie. It really has this <laughs> specific thing to me. I, I, that, that is a great story. Yeah. <laughs> it's just shocking. It's like looking into another world. You look at this like in the other side of the mirror yeah, almost. Yeah. That's, you know, I know. The, it was very... The fucking mariachi. Bizarre. It's like the one rest stop now in Florida up it's Turkey Lake or, or uh, Okahumka, one of these. Oh, things, one of those yeah. ones that are really yeah. up there near yeah. Gainesville. Okahumka I call is it the, the northest one. I call it the jazz bathroom because they're always playing like piano, solo piano jazz in the bathroom. I love it. It's bizarre. I love it. So anyway, so we were talking about uh, last <laughs> but, but, and, and, and I was going to say there's also a ukulele player. Mm-hmm. walking along the graveyard and there's a guy playing there he's, he's really being followed and pressured by uh, by this unnamed agency uh, uh, you know an agent in fact Christopher Walken at one point tells Charles Napier kill him uh, and it reminded me of Condor it's like you know um, where Max von Sydow says I suspect it was about to become an embarrassment yeah yeah so yeah if you're going to become an embarrassment because you shouldn't because he's be here. they think he's too on edge or something yeah he's like he already yeah. had a breakdown and yeah it's, it's it's really cool so it really sets you up for but then for this like thing. so all this stuff is kind of already in play he's already mm-hmm. on the outs with the agency and he goes back to his house or what was his house his apartment with his wife janet margolin's there uh and Basically, the the company had sublet the apartment to her without him knowing, and uh, there's all this confusion going on, and we'll play over this babbling, the actual (laughs) talking of the scene. Uh, 
you know, there's a bunch of cats and dogs in the house. Or, you know. Yeah, he's like, I love when he walks in and sees a cat and yeah. goes, and who the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> what are you and your menagerie doing in my apartment? <laughs> when did you and your menagerie move in? Um, so you, so you, you've introduced this this uh, potential heroin love interest. You know how movies go. It's, and, it's, she's the female lead, and she the, also brings the plot to the next place because she provides him with this note that I guess was left under the door of the apartment when he was gone, and it has these Hebrew words on it. Yeah, it's and, like um, and Japanese have a similar word for it. It's like one. It's like. Um, it has one pretty much singular meaning. Yeah. A couple of Hebrew letters. And, you know, he doesn't... Uh, she recognizes that it's Hebrew, but she doesn't know what it says. This is ridiculous bullshit. There's a great a great moment there where he kind of does some good flipping out on her. But uh, after flipping out, he decides to take it to a rabbi. Um, and there's another great little scene there. With, before Roy even walks in, it cuts to this rabbi just like telling these kids to be quiet and yeah, like yeah they're all lined up with their, and, with their books reading and they're gonna have to sing a song and that's uh ghostbusters mayor <laughs> david margolis uh, also tony I, soprano's lawyer i recognized yeah. him and i didn't i didn't know uh, for so, sure who he was yeah he, sopranos and ghostbusters is the two that i always think of man that's awesome and he the this the the rabbi tony soprano's lawyer gives uh tells him that the note means goel avenger adam of blood yeah, it sounds like he's going down and through some mysterious entity. Whoever and this, this is under not the door. necessarily the same thing as the agency he was working for. No, no. It, yeah, eventually you get to the point where you're like, who's 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 trying to kill him or what? You know, the side story involving a Hebrew. And then I, I remember when he leaves the rabbi, and a rabbi calls a guy and's looking at him out the window. I've got a live one for you. Like I'm like the fucking rabbi's in on it, but too? the rabbi's <laughs> in on the other thing. The thing, the but committee. you don't even know it's another yeah. thing yet. I know. Until, yeah, but that, um, yeah, it's it's lovely because it it reminds me of the of the Nazi hunters. Yeah, the um, like the boys from Brazil was right around yeah, that same time. Yeah, and, and uh, the plot starts to involve um, the uh, original Jewish um, family that started this prostitution ring, basically. Right, and there's people, <clears throat> these random folks who are the descendants of these like Jewish criminals, the Jewish mafia, essentially. They they ran these girls. Yeah. Uh, what it, there's a name for it. It's called... And I didn't write it down. Zwi Migdal, an organized is... crime group of Polish-Jewish individuals founded in Poland and mainly based in Argentina. Mm. Which is a real thing. Apparently. I didn't know it was a real thing. I didn't know it was but, a, a real thing either. Yeah, but Roy Scheider's character, he finds out through this other guy... That's the initial Z, ZM. ZM, yeah. Right. Zumbo Motors. <laughs> 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 but um yeah, so he finds out through this other character that all the people who are dying and the people who are after him are the descendants of these Zwei Migdal uh, mobster types. Exactly. So somebody's after the you know, a descendant of one of the women, I guess, is is what it's eventually, you know, you found out to be, but that's the idea. Yeah, and at that point, you you start to think, okay, so the agency thing, maybe that's a red herring. Well, because uh, it kind of absolutely is a red herring. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it turns and into especially kind of after a few more minutes, you're like, okay, that, that storyline's on. Charles Napier falls off of a thing, like in Ver it's like Vertigo, the bell tower. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I was mean, shot really cool, too. Right, as he falls off the thing, this other, uh, played by Sam Levine, the older mm -hmm. sort of Jewish Nazi hunter, secret agent character, 
immediately shows up. It's like, yeah. that plot thread's done. New plot thread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he, he describes himself as having worked for the committee, and not any more specific than that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who the hell are you? Sam Ardell. The committee told me to keep tabs on you after you saw the rabbi. But I'm getting too old for this kind of bullshit, let me tell you. What committee? What are you talking about? You think every committee has to blow itself all over the New York Times with a big ad list of bullshit sponsors? It's a committee committee, that's all. Five Jews get killed by a lunatic leaving Hebrew notes. Naturally, you gotta have a committee. Sort of like, a, it gives the impression of, like, Nazi hunters or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I got like that impression saying. from, uh, yeah, it's just like, you know, never again. It's, it's, it's just... It's just taking care of taking care of a whole business and avenging. Right. Avenging is definitely what they're in the business of doing. Yeah, it's really cool and it gets really it gets really tense. I mean the tension really never lets off, but the plot definitely does shift. At some point he has to give up what you're really He has to at. go yeah, at another point he's, it takes him a while to kind of figure out what's going on. He has to go see this professor that's a friend of Janet Margolin's character. Mm, really played, her ostensibly her boyfriend. Uh, yeah, played by John Gremlins too, Glover. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's very very funny kind of just like academic weirdo character. yeah nerdy really yeah. Aw- socially awkward and um, also sexist as can be yeah, yeah like just a, who I guess might be in on it we're not really totally sure we're about. not sure yeah. yeah we're not sure because we don't suspect that she's in on it ever until do we do really <laughs> yeah when the shit hits spoil the, in the movie but yeah. it, it it almost I, this is why I think the movie falls apart a little bit in the back half once all these things start in motion. Because if she was trying to kill him, and if Gremlins 2 was trying to kill him, why are they explaining this whole thing to him? Like, Hello. What, I know. It, the, it falls because I know they, they talk about they have to die in certain ways. If you're to be properly killed by a goel, it has to be by one of the prescribed biblical forms laid down by the ancient court, the Sanhedrin, by fire, sword, stoning, or strangulation. I suppose, of course, there could be modern equivalents. Well, the Yakuza has that kind of thing, too. Right, where, yeah. Uh, you have to kill... You have to kill him by the sword, except you can kill him however you want. Right, right. Right. That's really right. Cool. Yeah, that is in the yeah. Yakuza. So you're right. an American, so you're not part of that thing. But yeah, if you're part of the thing, you they have to die a certain so way. So I guess that's not why they don't didn't just kill him immediately. But yeah, well, it's really shocking when when you when you see her. Because it cuts away to her looking different in this, like, Putting lipstick. Putting makeup in, yep. and it's like, holy shit, she a prostitute? Yeah. They're looking for an attractive young woman, perhaps a prostitute, with the initials ZM. Or what is she this? She was posing as one exactly. for a different guy, for a different descendant a of the ZM. A guy on the list, yeah, yeah, he's on the list. And they're crossing him off the list, and Roy's catching on to him. Meanwhile, they're also him. giving Roy a bunch of clues as to what it is they're doing. <laughs> so I don't understand the mechanics of how this plot works out in the end. It's but, sort of like how it, it's sort of like they couldn't figure out any other way to tell the the story. The story, yeah, yeah, and and maintain some kind of suspense. But I I can remember watching I can remember watching uh, Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. After when I first saw it, I was like, my friend and I were like, "This is fucking great! Yeah, yeah!" It's like seeing Die Hard for the first time. <laughs> it was a real rush. It was sure, a rush I've, of a I've movie. Had, sure. You watch it again, you go, "Jesus, this whole this thing is, is telegraphed." The dumbest movie that Brian De Palma has ever made. So yeah. fucking telegraphed. Well, that's not true, but how it's do pretty, I? Yeah. How do I sit here and watch this and not realize? You know why it's great is because everything with Angie Dickinson is great. Absolutely. The well, first absolutely. twenty-five minutes is wonderful, yeah. but then after that, it becomes really. Dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Michael Caine 
My is cocaine. always good in everything, yeah. My cocaine. <laughs> uh, but I got off on the tangent. So that's, that's, um, that's just what's, what, you know, what, what happens when... And the way that it, when Roy finds out that it's her that's behind it, he finds a picture of her ancestor, her grandmother, who she's spoken about a couple times and, like, told and stories about. Like her, yeah. And that's what I was trying to bring up. Yeah, yeah. it is her. It's yeah, that classic yeah, yeah. movie trope of, oh, my ancestors <laughs> are just me. Yeah, in an old dress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in an old sepia tone photo. Yeah, I know, that really cracked me up. Yeah, what did I write down here? Uh, revenge for white slavery. Yeah. I knew Grandpa was in real estate, but I didn't know he ran a whorehouse. I didn't think I used to sit on the lap of that old bastard when I was a kid. <laughs> you got a weird sense of humor. Well, I mean, white slavery, these are my roots. And I, uh, the other thing I remember, um, without giving a given away but the end of the movie is set in Niagara Falls and basically mm -hmm. Niagara Falls is Jonathan Demme's Rushmore Mount Rushmore okay oh yeah. sure in, in, in uh, North uh, by from the... North by Northwest yeah, that's exactly yeah. right yeah which is that's you you see the poster for this movie no no the no. poster for this movie is the last shot of the movie Whoa, isn't that insane <laughs> they give away the ending yeah, of the poster I'm, I'm not gonna even tell you what it looks like but if y'all who are listening want to look at the poster for last embrace it's, it's one it's of right the silliest there. posters i ever seen <laughs> i agree well i have to say i i i like watching this movie just because i like um I love Roy Scheider, and I then do too. Janet Margolin's awesome. partially naked, and yep. she's uh, well. Actually, the Janet Margolin, when she plays her grandmother in the old photo, is naked. That's actually when she does show her boobs. Think of it, Harry. Poor young girl in a ghetto town in Europe. One day, a handsome stranger appears and promises to marry her in America, where the streets are paved with gold. He gives her a ticket. She comes over steerage Ellis Island. Where's the stranger? Don't worry. There's another stranger who knows a place where she can stay. Now they lock her in a room. The men come in and they screw her and screw her and screw her. And they turn her into a whore. Fifteen and her fate is written. To die screaming, her brain eaten away by syphilis. You're a killer, Ellie. So is your grandfather. It's a it's a fun watch. Um, I enjoy it, uh, uh, especially the first half. I think it kind of falls apart a little bit. Uh, uh, in that maybe it, it's trying to reach for too much and, and too many plates in the air. It doesn't quite land for me. I give it three out of five uh, on Letterboxd. I'm down with yeah. that. Um, and we never really rated the movies we were watching, but the, we did, you know, it's it, we're appreciating Demi's, um, Demi's skill at, uh, at, um, at visually telling the story, which he's just a master. And watching this movie and then watching some of his other movies, you know, we we mentioned Brian De Palma. I never knew until just this last week how totally much of a descendant of Hitchcock Jonathan Demme is. Yeah. And even in movies like Philadelphia, the framing is so kind of, like, stylized and the way the camera is always moving and zooming in on people. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's absolutely. Like you were talking about, Actors looking into the camera all the time. Yeah, it's just exactly such a right. great. You're just drawn right in. You're looking right at them too. Uh, but yeah, the cam and then the camera work, the steady cam stuff. We were talking about um, very early uh, in the steady cam uh, lifespan, right? Yeah. yeah Who yeah. was the operator? You said you looked that up. Maybe uh, this, uh, the inventor uh, uh, was also the operator, and he was the operator Garrett for somebody. a lot of movies. Um, where we got here. Um, 
Oh, and Tak Fujimoto, by the way, is almost always uh, I, I cinematographer. Every single one of these yeah, is, with, yeah, is yeah. with Fujimoto. Does, yeah, they're a great collaboration. He does a great job. But yeah, this was is cool. Again, great style. Roy Scheider looks uh, great. He's got some excellent wardrobe sub choices, like a white suit that he wears. He just looks awesome. You are the peacock. Uh, He's just so great. He, uh, Vincent Canby said in about this movie, and I think he's got a good point, is that no other leading actor can create so much tension out of such modest material. <laughs> and I think that's a pretty good way of describing his performance in that, this movie. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. I, I, you know, I don't like critics all that much, but um, that's a really that's a really astute observation. Yeah. For sure. No, I agree. I agree with you. Um, anyway. Well, let's take a break. I need a cup it. of coffee. Yeah, And uh, we'll get on to our next movie in just a moment. together to soup up his old sleigh so Rudolph and the other reindeer could rest on Christmas Day it's got a million miles of travel and to do it in one day and that's why Santa Claus has a souped up Santa sleigh Melvin and Howard yeah which he made right after Last Embrace and was mm -hmm. a, certainly a, a much bigger deal than Last Embrace I think at the time yeah yeah uh, Best screenplay Oscar for Bo, Bo Goldman and Mary Steenburgen got an Oscar, uh, one for this movie. I, guess, I, I never knew she had an Oscar until this I, movie. I didn't. I didn't either. Pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah and especially for this movie, where yeah. she's really she does a great, great. job. Yeah, yeah, she does. But it's just, uh, you know, I heard somebody else say it's like you know she's a famous actress and you know she's known in the culture for a lot of reasons like Back to the Future Three or. Uh, being married to Ted Danson, or she's in Philadelphia. Yeah. But nobody knows she's an Oscar winner. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, really weird. It's probably because that movie, this movie, I'm sure a lot of people don't know. Because you can't I mean, find it anywhere yeah, yeah. Uh, to stream. Yeah, yeah, the only way we found it was on YouTube. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Pretty bizarre. Um, in fact, Last Embrace was on YouTube, too. Yeah, I know. It's kind of... Um, um, so Demi is like, oh, well, he's he's one of our favorite directors. He's just, he can't find his first two movies uh, uh, to stream or watch it anywhere. Which here, we're talking about it. But Melvin and Howard is a... It, 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 it's a fun movie, and it's based on a true story about um, Melvin Dumar, who's, who's uh, just a factory worker out in the desert uh, of, the, of the Southwest. I've had a lot of jobs, but... Uh can't seem to get the right one, you know? He was a milkman, and now he's just like a, he's like a, uh, I forget what he is. He works in a factory with Michael J. Pollard. It doesn't really That's show right. too much uh, what he's doing, but yeah, he's working it's, it's somewhere. Yeah, a factory worker, yeah. yeah. So on the way home one night, um, he finds... Howard Hughes laying by the side of the road. That's the, the movie opening is great because Howard Hughes is just out in the desert. That's the very beginning. Doing, him just yeah, jumping doing, over shit in his motors. <laughs> like, jumping oh. a pond. And... <laughs> He's just like this old gray-haired, you know, crazy person. And, uh, you know, again, it's supposedly based on a true story. And Melvin picks him up and... Um, and makes him sing his song, Santa's Souped Up Sleigh. Yeah, Melvin is singing this song that he apparently wrote about Santa's Souped Up Sleigh. And, and he says, if you don't sing along, you can get out and walk. <laughs> and Howard Hughes is like, I don't sing. I don't sing, which is is just really, really funny. And then he sings Jason Bye Robard. Bye Blackbird also. Yeah, after Jason that. Robards as, as Howard Hughes. Howard finally admits that he does know uh, how to sing Bye Bye Blackbird, which is just absolutely great. 
uh, and we've also got an appearance, like you said, uh, by Michael Pollard, but also Dabney Coleman. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to try to save that for the end yeah. because I wasn't expecting that. And it's like, I know. Ah, the boy. Well, we can, we'll talk about it at yeah. the end. Yeah. Singer, you walk, he says. Yep. Yeah. So who's the bad guy, the casino boss that looks familiar? Um, because I'm jumping too far ahead, but um, basically Melvin is married to Mary Steenburgen. They have a um, daughter. And then Mary leaves him. Mm-hmm. It just kind of because you know, the the some the cars get the truck is getting repossessed. The truck that he picked up using yeah, is getting yeah, repossessed. Yeah, yeah. And and he's really kind of on the skids. They're living in a trailer with all this junk in the yard, and you know. And she leaves him, and she ends up in uh, where in Reno or Vegas, working in. Uh, well, yeah, well, she's uh, immediately club. runs out, and then there's a, a very brief scene of her, like, in a hotel with whoever she ran off with, but he's just leaving, because I guess he was abusive, and that didn't work out really well. Uh, Do you yeah. remember that? There's yeah, just, like, a yeah. real quick scene of that. And that's then, right. I didn't write that down, but that's exactly that, right. Yeah, that happens real early on. But then, yeah, she ends up working in a strip club, and uh, then Melvin serves her with divorce papers. I don't want to fight with you. I don't want to argue with you. I'm just complying with the law. Your official notification of an interlocutory decree. It'll be final in six weeks. Oh. That. Keep your ring if you want. Wait a minute, Melvin. Melvin, you wait. What does it say about Darcy in here? I get custody. That's what. What do you mean you get custody? What do you think? I want her being around a weird place like this. No, Melvin! God damn it! Linda. Now take it easy, pal. Andy, right. go. Hey. All right. Hey, they don't hurt him. Hey, don't. I'm leaving. They get back together, and it's a bunch of da 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 da. But you're just—it's just a movie where you're following this relatively, uh, you know, unremarkable person just through his kind of uh, trials uh, after having met Howard Hughes, and it's. And and Howard Hughes, it, it doesn't it doesn't even ring with any. It's not the, like it's it's not that it's inauthentic. It's just like nobody nobody's gonna believe it. It's just I picked a guy up and took yeah, him back to the dunes. It doesn't play a large role in his life or really in the movie at all. Very much for most of the time. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it's you know you're waiting for that shoe to drop. Hey, I remember. Remember I told you to pick that guy up in the desert. Oh, yeah, yeah. Howard Hughes. He told he me it was Howard Hughes. Yeah, and in between, yeah, she leaves him like twice. And that comes back and, to, yeah. and she's pregnant again mm-hmm. I don't know who she's even pregnant with I can't I don't, not clear she's suddenly in Anaheim and she's right, pregnant yeah. calling him on the phone are you pregnant? what do you mean am I pregnant? what do you want to ask me a thing like that for? well how pregnant are you anyway? I'll tell you what for your sake you better hope it's a girl what are you talking about Melvin? you know what I'm talking about huh? We're talking about how it does a lot of time compression, like it and location uh, jumping around, mm-hmm. and it, it just it's a very episodic narrative of just like a couple things are happening to this guy here and there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 yet he's just like this ordinary blue collar. And you know, there's a lot of like uh, you know, they're struggling economically. You know, there's a scene where Mary Steenburgen is putting their daughter on the bus and they're trying to get ketchup and stuff. When you get to Gabs, be sure to get off, all right? Okay, and don't get off before then. If anybody talks to you, anybody suspicious, just don't talk back. Just move right. Do you want some ketchup? Yeah. 
go right up and talk to the driver. Now I want you to tell Nell and Morris hello. Is everything okay over there? Everything's just fine. The Thank you very much. For the and you know the guy who was at the counter, I think, was Melvin Dumar. Is the actual <laughs> Melvin yeah, Dumar? I, I saw his yeah. name in the credits. He and was I didn't there, know who, just did a brief who, cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's and, too great. Yeah, you know, there's a great scene where Melvin is with his daughter watching this game show on TV, and uh, it, it's some kind of stupid game show that uh, uh, Robert Ridgely hosts. But the, his daughter is like, "What for?" Well, honey, that's great. They're going to go to Hawaii. They're going to fly in the friendly skies. They're going to lie in the sun. You should be happy for him. See, look. Look at Wally's hugging her. See her smile? Can I go out and play? Yeah, turn off the TV. And uh, eventually kind of gives him the idea to... He doesn't go on himself, but he gets his wife to go on. Uh, yeah, I mean, because he seems to be able to put... Uh, I wrote it down. It's called. It was called Easy Street. And Easy it was, Street. Uh, and, and whoever he picked the winner, whatever talent oh, they had... Oh, that's right, yeah. He picked the winner and said, okay, which gate do you want? Gate one or gate two or gate three? And Melvin picks the right one He's right every time, time. Yeah. yeah. So that's how he... Okay, cool. Yeah, but he yeah. didn't have a talent to go on. So right, yeah, he yeah. didn't. So he got Mary Steenberg and he's yeah. a singer-dancer. When is, you know, did you notice in the scene when he and his daughter are first watching it, they're wearing these silly... Glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like his daughter's wearing glasses where each lens looks like a TV, and Melvin is wearing these big dumb red for no real reason. Not, no, yeah, no real good, reason. Yeah, just a good laugh. Yeah, and they're eating breakfast or lunch or dinner. It's, it's hard to tell what they're yeah. eating. They're eating some bizarre stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's really kind of funny. Uh, the, and the show scene. So, uh, they Robert get, Ridgely is the host of this show. Come on, oh you princess. Beautiful aquamarine lady, come on up here. Hi, you just look lovely, Linda. They love you out there, you know. Thank you, Wally. Ooh, I'll bet you're just as talented as you are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Little candy box hat and everything. Your hands are cold. You want to put them in Uncle Wally's pocket? Uh, <laughs> no, smarter than Uncle Wally, aren't you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> You know, when when they got divorced, but then she's in Anaheim and pregnant, and they get married again. Oh, oh in Vegas, that's right. In Vegas, yes. uh, the, they choose Hawaiian war chant <laughs> as the music for their ceremony. That's a, a great inside music joke. And I the, give uh, me credit for that. And on the music. Oh, yeah, what do you have? Uh, well, I got inspirational because Hawaiian, the war chant. War chant. Because. War chant. War chant. War chant. He, he seems to have a lot of good music sense. Yeah, music I think sense. so. And he's, yeah. you know, how many how many concert films did he direct throughout oh, his career? Hello. Quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Neil Young movies, and of course, Stop, Stop Making Sense was his. So he, I think you're right. He does have a great music sense. We were just talking about the unique ways he incorporates uh, non-diegetic music into the movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. hello, hello, yeah, yeah. and uh, and he does that in this movie too. I'm trying to think of. Well, just the fact the game show, uh, mm -hmm. when she does get on and she does win, she picks, she doesn't pick the door that he tells her to. No, this other very stoic, like huge Native American guy who's next sitting to him next is yelling to out him. two, yeah. and Melvin's going three uh, with his uh, fingers, uh, and she picks two. Yep. Tick-tack, 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 two! 
and turns out to win this like ten thousand dollars and, all and this other furniture shit. and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 And of course, Melvin buys a boat you and know, big a, red Cadillac yeah, immediately. Yeah. yeah. I'm leaving you, Melvin. He leaves him again. <laughs> right before, <laughs> no, it's a great moment of just like blissful, you know, ignorance moron, like, like standing on the like. He's got his cowboy hat on. Yeah, changes yeah. to a captain's hat when he gets on the boat. Yeah, he's talking to the Coast Guard <laughs> on the radio. This is the Santana calling the Santa Monica Coast Guard. Come in. Then immediately, Melvin, you're a loser. Don't call me that. <laughs> it's really uh, just a. And the daughter is always just like giving him a big hug. She loves yeah. him, waving by, but she's just like it's just inevitable. It's such Stuck a with her mom. It's a movie that is just a, about like a guy who just fucks up all the time, and he's not a bad guy. Yeah, I don't think. Not, yeah, no, he's he's not. A, he hasn't doesn't have an evil bonus. No, he he has kind of, gets a little angry and jealous a little bit. Like he he flips out on the milkman boss, but he had reason to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't you can't really push him around. Yeah, but, uh, and so so. So what happens again is she leaves. She him. leaves him again, and, and then the the who's like she, a clerk at the dairy who has. So yeah, he ends actress. up working for this uh, uh, milk dairy company. That's Pamela Reed. Pamela Reed from uh, Tanner eighty eight. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, kindergarten. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's. Yeah. I really like her in this. Yeah, I do too. Really, she looks really cute, and she's real like kind of charming. She and funny. goes right for him. I'll take care of you, Melvin. Till you get back up on your feet again. I got my kids' child support money saved up. You got a kid. I got two kids. Oh, now listen, Melvin, no. I got a cousin up in Utah, lost his lease on a gas station. We run it right. We get a thousand a month clear. Now I have been waiting for this moment, and the moment is now. Is that net? Don't you come swinging your dick around my cashier's office Bonnie, no more. You're a Mormon girl. You talk like that? You bet your ass. Oh. Well, uh, when do we leave? And this is also after he sang a song in uh, another at the Christmas musical party. Moment. Yeah, yeah, See, there yeah. Is. The he, dairy, the dairy. He Christmas wrote a song party. about the dairy. Well, I pulled out a rocket headed down the Santa Ana freeway. I got my dipco wound up, and I guess it's running okay. I know it's the middle of the night, but heck, that's all right. cared about was all he wanted to be was milkman of the month yep. because it got a free tv you know yep. it's nice when you have goals in well, life. That's a, it's a great movie about just small ambitions and like a, a working guy trying his best and and then what's his big break finally this other shoe drops where uh, charles napier shows up at this gas station they're running hello melvin hi how you doing all right can i help you yeah some cigarettes Oh, cigarettes. Um, what kind you want? Uh, camels. Camels, okay. Well, that's a man's cigarette. You probably walk them off with these. Then, uh, surreptitiously just leaves this envelope yeah, on, on, on the desk that Melvin opens and it's last will and testament of Howard Hughes. And he's one of several people who's supposedly being going to make a hundred and I think it's fifty-six million dollars. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, suddenly like... And the notoriety and all this insanity. He takes it to the Mormon 
church and leaves it in the I don't the really mailbox. understand what that's all about. I had to rewind that That scene was confusing, yeah. Um, because he apparently was like, well, I need to take this to the authority and just let it, let it happen. But is Howard Hughes Mormon? Like, why did he... Is he Mormon? Is Melvin Mormon? I guess he's just in Utah. Yeah, I, I think Howard Hughes... I don't think he was Mormon, but he did have, like, connection to the church because he hired a bunch of Mormon as his private security. Well, there force. you go. Yeah, so that's There's... I know that. James Elroy, in uh, that book, the, the American Tabloid, talks about Hughes' Mormon sort of uh, okay. security force. Well, so is the whole movie set in, in Utah? Because Utah doesn't have desert. Utah, dude. No, the movie's set all over. Uh, yeah, and I noticed that... He's that in Nevada said, in the beginning, and then he's in I California. I think it said... Uh, well, two of his movies say... Oh, no, it says, shot on location, quote, where events actually occurred. Oh, uh, that's nice. I have <laughs> credits. I know I wrote that down but, somewhere. But, yeah, he is in Utah because that's where the gas station is that's where they that's uh, right yeah that's right hughes i guess was based in las vegas but i don't know he takes it to the mormon church for some reason but it's discovered immediately uh, it's in their inbox and then it becomes a media sensation supposed will of howard hughes dropped yeah. off by a mysterious uh, uh, charles napier right and of course they take it right back to him because his name's on it yeah. and now we're yeah. like melvin what's the deal yeah and it's almost like he just didn't want to be the one to say well when he I mean, end, he doesn't. He doesn't go public with it himself. He gives it to somebody right. else. He ends up going to court and saying that he's scared. That was what it was. Why did you deliver the will to the church? I was afraid. What were you scared of? I was worried about what might be inside. Why was that frightening? <laughs> I don't know. And also the prosecutor in the scene, John Gremlin's two Glover once again, and yep. that's a great scene of the Demi two people staring at each other kind Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's uh, John Glover is sort of you, you, he's asking these questions of Melvin, and he doesn't trust him, and da da da. Well, Melvin, if it meant eternal damnation in hell, would you still say it just happened that way? It's the truth. Of course, I would say that. And at a certain point, you only see one of them at a time in these close-up one-shots, and at a certain point, it cuts to more of a wide master, and you see that John Glover is, like, hovering right over him <laughs> in a way that you didn't... It wasn't apparent before that <laughs> yeah. shot. It's re That's a really... It's, it's funny. You're know, right. That cracked, that, me that, up. that cracked me up, yeah. too. And mm. then Danny Coleman is the judge, also doesn't believe him. Now, if you're lying, Melvin, which you are, in my opinion... Your soul may be in jeopardy, but that's not really what I'm concerned with right now, Melvin. I'm I'm concerned with your hide. <laughs> that's another cool shot, too, because as the judge is giving his speech, we get a 360 around the courtroom. Yeah, Which yeah, is another yeah. cool Demi thing. And you see everybody sitting there, both the Melvin's wives, his buddy, yeah. Michael J. Pollard. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a cool shot of just... You know, you see a movie with a very kind of small and personal scope, but you see it all in that last moment. Yeah, right? and you, you know, uh, he, he know, he knows how to bring in the, the uh, like, shots of the audience. We were talking mm -hmm. about Mikey Rich, Michael Ritchie mm -hmm. um, shows crowd shots of people, you know, that, that very naturalistic yeah. kind of uh, reaction shots of people. <laughs> and Demi has, uh, like you were saying, like the Shriners and right, the Rays. Idiosyncratic yeah. idiosyncrasies of background people. And, you know, that's like the more strange the fourth guy from the right looks, the more verisimilitude it somehow has. There, there <laughs> yeah, you go. That, right? there it's you more, go. more realistic. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned and, something I wanted to say. Um, um, <laughs> I, I meant to say when he was working for the mill company, um, 
he there was a sticker on, i'm starting to notice things this is your fault oh, <laughs> good. Yeah, good. Because we were talking about cars uh i looked at product placement for i love some stuff reason. like that and then you're talking about production design the milk yeah. truck has a sticker on it that says i get mine at home i know i, I know <laughs> There's a brief little scene where Melvin like hooks up with the lady on his route. A nice hot cup of coffee. Well, uh, oh, why not? Uh, excuse me, Mrs. Ward. Oh, Melva. Melva, Melvin, get it? <laughs> yes, ma'am. And everybody's rooting for him like yeah. crazy. You know, it's just ridiculous. The assistant manager, um, uh, I, I, I recognize the milk, him the of the milk, milk place. company. His yeah. name is Jack Kehoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's an actor who's around, yeah. Moscones, bail bonds. I knew That's him. That's who he is. Just came to me as I well. I just love that. I could, yeah. I'd make that my ringtone. <laughs> bail bonds. Uh, so when the will becomes public and goes through this trial, of course, they, they uh, as you find out later, it's totally tossed out. Hughes had a bunch of wills, apparently, yeah. and the whole thing was a fucking mess. There's still no legitimate will to... to Currently, to Howard Hughes, I guess, um, and, and even uh, that's kind of like the closest thing to a, a message a loose movie like this is gonna hit you with is at the end after Melvin. Uses I mean, you think that Melvin Dumar is gonna get 156 million dollars or anything like it? Nah, I'm not gonna see that money. That's all right. Cause you know what happened. Howard Hughes sang Melvin Dumar's song. That's what happened. And, and that's, that's Jonathan Demme. Even enough. though it's cynical, it's like got this great optimistic empathy. It is yeah. really, uh, he's great. Yeah. And Paul and Matt really, really pulls pulls that off. He, you know, he of American Graffiti. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was the other movie? Well, he's in... Um, He's in another Demi movie, an earlier one that I've not watched, Citizen's Band. Yeah, that's yeah, right. He's in uh, that. And he's in more American Graffiti, which is, I guess, a better movie than a lot of people think. I've heard, I've heard it have kind of a reputational uh, rehabilitation. Well, he, yeah, he has kind of a, he, he's kind of got stuck with a, a little bit of that James Dean thing from American Graffiti, mm. I think, as a, a ordinary. And then what's know. Melvin except like an older version of that type of guy? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's been out of high school for 10 years mm -hmm. and, <laughs> as a kid in a rotten job. and But he's just a, got a heart of gold. It's, yeah, it's, it's just great stuff. And uh, like you said, he, um, you know, he said at least Howard Hughes sang my song. Yep, and that's, uh, that's, and then what do we, the very end of the movie is, uh, is just back to them in the car and Jason Robards singing. Again. He's dri yeah, yeah. Uh, he's Jason driving. Robert's yeah. is driving and Melvin falls asleep mm -hmm. and yeah, Howard Hughes is singing Bye Bye Blackbird. Mm -hmm. Back up all my cares and woe, here I go singing low. Bye bye, Blackbird. Where somebody waits for me, sugar sweet, so is she. The funny thing is that in the did you know, well, in the comments, in this case on YouTube, somebody, <laughs> said, somebody said they bought it on DVD because they he wanted to show it to his kids because the, 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 the baby that she has, that's a young boy, this guy says his two twins were in that movie and they didn't get any credit. He bought the oh, DVD really? just to show them the movie they were in because they didn't remember. 
That's and so he said interesting. They, they, the kids never got credit. Oh no. Uh, that's well, funny though. They got a, they got a YouTube comment. That's yeah, all. And, and we're talking about that's, it. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway, I think that's another fun watch. It, it's uh, and got great music in it. Uh, I don't know that anybody did a got soundtrack credit, but um, let's. Yeah, I don't remember the score, but Santa's, there was a lot of uh, whoever like wrote Santa's souped up sleigh <laughs> has got my vote. Um, just I'm looking at Wikipedia now. I want to give a couple of just good lines credit from Pauline Kael and from Roger Ebert. Uh, Pauline Kael said after watching this movie that Demi shows perhaps a finer understanding of lower middle class life than any other American director. That's a good which one. Which I think is about right I after agree. watching this movie and, and some others as well. And then there's another... Ebert has got some good lines in this movie too. Um, a world of mobile homes, Pop-Tarts, dust, kids, and dreams of glory. <laughs> <laughs> Pop-Tarts dust and dreams of glory. <laughs> that's about right. Way that's to go, right. Roger. That's perfect. Um, yeah, so Dennis Bingham is a writer uh, who wrote a book about the biopic as a genre. Whose lives are they anyway? Just huh. a, sort of a study of biopics. He calls Melvin and Howard the very first film in the B-O-S-U-D category, which stands for Biopic of Someone Undeserving. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Um, that is yeah. very funny. Uh, one of Paul Thomas Anderson's favorite movies. I'm just reading Wikipedia now. <laughs> SCTV produced a sketch called Melvin and Howard's, where Melvin, played by Rick Moranis, picks up Howard Hughes and also picks up Howard Cosell, Senator Howard <laughs> Baker, and Curly Howard. Who the hell are you? Howard! Curly Howard! Well, start singing, pea brain! I ain't singing! You better sing if you want to get into town! I still ain't singing! Oh, yeah? Yeah! Oh! Oh, Elaine! Won't you come out tonight? Seven <laughs> Well, we got a full plate to watch tonight after well, that. Welcome back to the Wikipedia podcast. <laughs> Well, let's say it's a fun movie and it's worth watching, you know, and it is a lot. And Paul and Matt and everybody are, are great in it. Um, Mary Steenberg, and again, Academy Award. Wins an Oscar. Well, let's take a break. One more is coming up. We'll be right back. Well, we're back. Let's see. With uh, our next film, Swing Shift, 1984. Yeah. You see somewhere. Russell. Kurt Russell, yep. The movie, uh, so yeah, the movie where they sort of first became a couple. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's where they met, and they've been together ever since, I guess. They, I, heard, I had read, might have been somewhere on, on another podcast, apparently they worked on a Disney movie when they were both kids, and then oh, never wow. knew each other after wow. that. Like, they met as kids, never knew each other, and then met again and have been together. The Kurt I knew was a kid actor with Disney, but yeah. I didn't know she had any kind of acting Must experience. have been like, because I think she's older than him, so it would have had to have been before, you know, the... Uh, What's the TV show she was on? Um, Laughing. Laughing. Yeah. That's before that, it would have had to be. Um, yeah, that's right. That they met for the first time. Um, so it's a World War II. It happens between right before Pearl Harbor and right after V-Day. Yep. It's, and again, time compression. Right, and how right. Demi is able to tell a story like over a long period of time in these like sort of vignettes. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love the premise because it was a really strange... Um, time. I was thinking. I was thinking earlier about how my kids and your generation is so f- much another step removed from the Great War, mm. you know. But my mother talked about it plenty, and um, the way people were kind of conscripted to work. She basically, uh, you know, Ed. She's married to Ed Harris. He goes. He says, "I have to join. I have to." And he joins up and takes off, and she gets a job in a factory with her neighbor and a bunch of other women who are Rosie the Riveters. Right, yeah, because uh, she's, she's bored, basically. And, yeah, and, and she, plus they all feel, everybody ob- feels obligated. Yeah. yeah. And the funny thing is with that obligation comes, uh, I remember this scene in the factory I noticed that there's an armed soldier, like a soldier with a rifle standing oh, yeah. up higher than everybody else in the factory. Strange. Like, what's that about? Some kind of, I don't but know. The, but the men all resented because, you know, like her, her supervisor, that guy, that Charles actor. Charles Napier again. Napier yeah. again. Every single one of these movies. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Who the hell you think you are? I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm Moon Woolens. And I've been working this damn place for 12 long years. This is my parking space, and I ain't about to lose it to a bunch of fly-by-night women like you. Uh-uh. You don't belong here, none of you! So that struggle was weird because women just traditionally didn't work, and it's about how traditional women are expected to behave yeah. and how they behave uh, in, in general because they're sort of just trained Socially, they're raised in a world where they're going to be moms and it was new to, to wives them and, and yeah, 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 sure. yeah. And the, and the, but the war took over everybody's life, so it was a great there's, premise. Yeah, and there's moments too where it's this uh, like it has these announcements over the loudspeaker of things that happen in the war <laughs> as the like. I think it's, you know, they talk about a battle and all these guys, you know, all these guys died and, you know, we're thinking of you and, you know, who can, you know, blah, 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 very sort of sentimental. Yeah. And then, you know. We must work harder to help turn the tide. Signing off. <laughs> and then it, as it's doing that, Jonathan Demi, I know this version in editing was kind of chopped to hell somehow, but this is, I think, a retention of Demi's vi- original sort of vision, and we'll talk about that. But this one shot, as that announcement is happening, it's this great sort of really high shot from the ceiling, and it zooms in real slowly on this one lady working on a cockpit. Not a major character, but just one lady working in there while she's just crying and working, yeah, like, working, yeah. working, working. Oh, God. Kind of yeah. like a... 
<laughs> very emotional moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, getting back to with white a slavery. peripheral character. <laughs> yeah, uh, but again, a very sort of uh, human moment from a peripheral character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody you see, you can identify with. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, or like when Holly Hunter's husband is. Uh, you know, she gets the news that he had died. Holly Hunter also plays one of the factory workers. Right. And the Marine who gives her the notification says right before the cut, there's a... I've never done this before. <laughs> like, the Marine is, is freaking out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just not... Nobody's used to this at all. It's just this, uh, this whole idea of a world war. Yeah, and you're hearing it all on the radio. Over mm-hmm. if, you, if you can hear it, because mm-hmm. the factory's fucking... Loud as hell. Yeah, Christine Lati uh, plays her neighbor, whose uh, boyfriend Fred Ward either mm-hmm. either is a promoter or he owns he a club. He runs a club. Runs I don't a know club. if he owns yeah, it or not. She but he sings runs there, club, and then yeah. it turns out Kurt Russell is uh, Scoldy Hans uh, lead man, and In he's, the factory, hit, yeah. he's hitting her, hitting on her all the time. Last chance, Kay. Kelly, Saturday night, Lucky Lockhart and his hot jazz trumpet. It's great working with you. And um, I think you're the best lead man on the line. And uh, I just I just know you're a swell fella. But you've been asking me out every week for the last five months. And I keep having to turn you down. And people are beginning to talk. Well, I'm just trying to improve your taste in music, Kay. You won't have to turn me down again. And there's the thing with all the men in the movie that aren't in the war. It's they're either like old guys like Charles Napier or else Kurt Russell says he has a bad heart. So there's always like they have to have some kind of reason as for not being in the war. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like because everybody else, yeah. everybody else who was able, even mm-hmm. the guys lie about their age and get in, you know. It's all the people who couldn't go to the war. Right, right. Yeah, but Kurt Russell is a musician that really cracked me up. Was he not? I, I mean, I don't don't know if he was actually playing the trumpet. Whoever it was, it was pretty good. But yeah, no, I don't. I don't think he. I don't think he actually played. I I know enough trumpet fingering to see what he's uh, doing. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's authentic. Uh, the the mute that he uses, you know, everything about uh-huh. it is authentic. The music playing right into a lady's ear at one yeah. point. <laughs> That particular mute is called a Harmon mute, and I know it because Miles Davis used the Harmon mute exclusively for a while. Anyway, that was huh. authentic. That's kind of cool. I appreciate authentic music, but sure. Uh, yeah, uh, well, you pointed me to this article, uh, Sight and Sound, about this movie and how it got screwed up. Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I liked the movie. I enjoyed I watching too. it. Yeah, but yeah. It, once you let's talk about how the the flaws become apparent. Yeah, yeah. It it kind of it kind of starts to. Oh, I, I wanted to point out too that one scene that we were talking about the war effort. Pots and pans for victory. <laughs> that one cracked me up. There's a little fat women running out in the street, you know, to give their pots and pans to throw it on the truck. And that did you see who runs the factory? Who the boss is? The yeah, Roger Corman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and sure I didn't know that. I didn't. I had my back turned or something until I read that article. Yeah, I didn't realize he's in he there. He's only in maybe three seconds, but he gets voiceover. Like you hear him on the loudspeakers time to time. He keeps his side court yeah. alive for sure. Associates, I want to thank each and every one of you for a job well done. I think they could have they could have gotten to um, 
they could have gotten to a deeper thing, and it made me think of Jane Fonda in They Shoot Horses. It's a similar... We're coming home. Yeah, but it's like a post... That era, it's a post-depression era where they're coming, everybody's kind of out. The The war pulls everybody out of that. But yet there's right. this... Um, there's this really kind of... Um, there's this kind of sadness to her that she never really totally develops. Yeah, no, they, none of the characters really develop. No, That's no. sort of the thing about this movie. I think it's... It struck me that she just wasn't ever going to get off the dime about her husband, and that was the whole point of the movie mm-hmm. in the end, and that, that kind of threw me a little it's bit. It's sort of like the the Reagan era answer to Jane Fonda in Coming Home. There <laughs> sort you of go. Exactly what it there is. There you yeah. go. It has a very Republican uh, family. And it's the marriage. same exact plot. Like the plot line of husband goes to war, she starts to fall in with another guy. Da da da. And the ending is different, and <laughs> the setting is different, but the mechanics of the plot are the exact same. Yeah, you're right. She, she even has a best friend who she works with in that movie. And like you pointed out in this article, pointed out the original screenwriter was the same, same as coming home. Coming yeah. home, that's right. What's uh, her name? But I, her name is Nancy Dowd. Yeah, but Nancy she was Dowd. credited under a different name. I think Rob Morton, who is not a real guy, because <laughs> she wanted her name removed off of the movie after Goldie Hawn and, and her producing partner uh, Silbert came in and basically did all these rewrites. Did, you know? Yeah, you were this, reading about it. Yeah, Robert Town was hired to rewrite some stuff. Uh, and yeah, it just kind of screwed up the whole, the whole arc of her character when she was complaining that Demi's original cut screwed up the arc of her character, and and that article makes a very good point that his cut now when you see it, which we were just talking we're about trying try to, to find, find it, it, yeah, um, he he had a director's cut of work print and it's, it's kind of been floating around all these years, and everybody but it was agrees. not ever been released, I guess, officially, right, yeah, right. Well, it's like Richard Donner's Superman. I found a DVD mm-hmm. of his. That eventually of that. was, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, of course, they needed the money, I guess, or wanted the money. Uh, but yeah, this uh, this movie kind of it kind of it kind of fell apart because, like you said, it just it just nobody ever really develops, and there's this love triangle between Kurt Russell and Christine Lottie. and Christine Lottie, uh, actually. She's very good. Let me back up. Christine Lottie was the Jane Fonda in Horses character. She was a harder edge. Okay, that, sorry. That makes more sense. Sorry, yeah. That makes, what I said before, scratch that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That didn't make any sense. No, I was thinking about Christine Lottie. She's just kind of this hard, yeah. She's got some killer lines. Like, she said, Carlos trying to talk to her. Are you dressing me? Uh, Correct. You're barking up the wrong tree, mister. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she's very she's very tough. Man. Yeah, she's a tough Oscar person. nomination for this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the theory was that she uh, Goldie Hawn changed it. Yeah, I mean the article makes a point that they pro- she probably didn't change it because she thought Christine Lottie was stealing the movie. It's, it's, be- it's deeper than that. Well, from the article, it's, Goldie Hawn had developed a very certain persona at this time, and right. she basically the she after Demi turned in his cut of the movie. Uh, she and her producing partner were not happy with it, and she they reshot scenes, and it, not with Jonathan Demme necessarily. It says it's unclear who was filming them, but they reshot scenes to kind of undercut any significance her relationship with Kurt Russell was having, so right. that she could remain a sort of 
bubbly wife and not become Jane Fonda from coming home. Yeah, she's the good girl, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. She's just totally the good girl, and uh, you know, it's it's like soap. You know, and unfortunately, we probably wouldn't would have gotten a better performance in the Demi version out of Goldie Hawn. You it know, sure it sure sounds like sounds like it, yeah. it would have been a, a more nuanced one, but it wasn't what her box office persona was at that time. That's a good point. Yeah, um, and Kurt Russell also gets. No character at all in the version that exists. I did write in that the, he's um, a total just nothing. I got to the got to the end, like when you know, there's inevitable conflict when Ed Harris comes back yeah. to to visit. The war's still going on, but he's on leave and he shows up, and Kurt Russell and everybody, and and Ed Ward. Uh, um, Fred Ward, um, or having a party or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, but it's it just great. turns out they just throw, they kind of throw Kurt under the bus, and it's like he says, "Is that okay, I got a, I got a, I got a gig, and I'm gonna go uh, uh, east, and I want you to come with me." And she goes, "I can't, Lucky. I'm married." <laughs> <laughs> so what? It's so wrong. that's it? It's wrong. Come on, Kay. It's your own life. You got a right to be happy. I can't. I'm married. Don't you understand that? And and that bugs me too because she. It's a Goldie really clinging to the marriage. It's an excuse for everything. That's, right. That's what she uses it as, and and then because she wants a, the end to wrap up, like the public service thing they recreate, where the guy uh, is explaining to the women in the factory. You girls and women, you'll be going home, back to being housewives and mothers, as you promised to do when you came to work with us. Your lives will return to normal. <laughs> uh, right, which after they have this whole new de- normal, right? Yeah, how can yeah. anything return to normal? Right, it's not normal and, at all. And the, se- the sense of that, you know, massive change, I think, is probably more apparent in Demi's version. Probably. Because the version that we watched glosses over it entirely totally they try yeah, to, yeah. you know she's back with uh, ed harris at the end and they're kind of like all smiling like yeah all and christine Lottie marries her boyfriend yeah. with the promoter who she had this big falling out with and she slept with kurt russell but the movie we saw didn't make that clear even though no that's true it was not obvious. clear it's sort of sort of obvious but you're left wondering how deep that went and it was all kurt was just this shallow like i said he was just beefcake yeah yeah, and, and that's a shame. It is a shame. Holly Hunter, as well, who was in this movie, the version we, you know, the official version, not very much. You know, we we learn right. that she loses her husband, and that's kind of the, the last thing. There's a whole subplot in Demi's cut of her becoming, like, this symbol of the war effort and kind of, like, used as a... a uh, propaganda for the like, army in like Life Rosie magazine. Yeah. yeah, and that whole subplot with that character is is not around anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ixnay on the hot play. Yep, uh, so, but you still yeah, get they, little and, things. In the end, that's where that's where it kind of got me. Is the end is when they're at they're at a post post you know reception for Christine Lottie getting married, which is again that's kind of inexplicable. Nope, that's. Holly Hunter getting remarried. Oh, okay. It's well, I knew to be. somebody. No, well, no, no. But everybody the, was married. In the version anyway. that exists, it's not clear. But in Demi's version, it's supposed to be Holly Hunter getting I remarried. See. In I the got, version that exists, you're probably right. It is supposed to be her. I got and, the, uh, yeah, I got the feeling it was her and biscuits. Fred Ward yeah. biscuits. And he said Fred Ward is the one. Uh, well, the government's promised us a new ranch house in the valley. Ranch house. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I thought American that was dream, just like baby. A, yeah, mm-hmm. that was just like okay. Well, now we're going to go into the Eisenhower 
in, in, between here and the Korean War, we're all going to live in ranch houses yeah. and make babies. Which is... Uh, and what did he say? No more war, one hell of a future. That yeah. was his toast. And that's, the I think, any irony that Jonathan Demi was supposed to be bringing to that type of delivery uh, uh, was undercut by Goldie's version. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then she... She makes up with Kay because uh, she resented Kay sleeping with Lucky, even though, in the end, Lucky was just... Lucky, she made it pretty clear that Lucky was not a thing to her. But she says at one point, and I wrote it down, they get into they get into an actual physical altercation. That's right. Two women. Which is like, I was in love! And the article points out that because the film got chopped up, the the that, line makes, no, that yeah. line makes no sense. And you know what? It's still a movie that I enjoy watching because yeah. the acting is very good, even when there's not much character there. I think Goldie and Christine Lottie are both really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And you get these little, you still get these little sort of Jonathan Demi sort of human touches, like at the very end when they pull out the plane and Goldie's just kind of standing there. And again, off in the periphery, there's some guy who signs his name on the plane and does like this little jazz hands flourish. <laughs> and he's so proud of himself. And he's never in the movie. He has no lines. <laughs> but he's standing behind Goldie for one second. And it's great. It, or, or or Stephen Tobolowsky in the like propaganda video mm-hmm. is wearing a toupee. But yeah. then when you see him in the next scene, he's not. <laughs> uh, the announcement of D-Day followed by... Back to work! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a uniquely American movie. It's got that Michael Ritchie vibe in that sense that it's it's this is, a, this is an American only. And but uh, it is thing. also put. It's that it's a movie that I think has these sort of tendencies that want to burst out. But Goldie put it in this boring she, little box. Yeah, she put a bubble. Around and, it. But you can see that there's a great film in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a good film, but it's not a great film. Yeah, like that's a friend right. of my dad said, he came and visit us in in uh, Kentucky when I was a kid. And this guy's a jazz sax player, kind of a you know beatnicky type, uh, beat guy kind of. And married to the symphony uh, piccolo flute first chair, very prim, straight. He couldn't swing, you know, <laughs> save her ass. But he came over to visit my parents, and they took him to the Dairy Queen had just opened. Nice. And they and they go, uh, well, Claude, what do you think of, the, of our new Dairy Queen? He says, well. It's a good Dairy Queen. But it's, not a, it's not a great Dairy Queen. <laughs> well, how you gonna? Yeah. So we'll have to we'll have to wrap there because uh, oh oh the line oh no 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 before you mentioned Holly Hunter this is so great I had a deja vu that I had heard this before so check me if I'm wrong during this wedding reception whosoever it is there's a woman there's a woman looking at this bowl. And Holly Hunter goes... It's called a dip. Yeah? Yeah, you stick the potato chips in it. And I heard that line, and I almost fucking fell out. That's a great line. Somebody somebody said this to me before. Or I've seen this movie, and I actually remember that line. It's so great. It's dip. You put your potato chips in it. Or the whole part... Like, this is some... It's like tail fins on your car and going to the moon. Yeah, right. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. See, we're sure. heading into yeah. the new frontier. 90 minutes from New yeah. York to Paris. Yeah. Well, that's 76. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. okay. What a beautiful world this will be. What a glorious time to be free. That's yeah, it, yeah, 
chips and dip and wow. ranch houses. And, uh, yeah. There's a Mad Men episode, a very early Mad Men episode, which is ni- supposed to be 1960s, so a little after. But there's a a dip and chip conversation there, and too. <laughs> Some friends of mine yeah. and I, we did a. We uh, we wrote a song together, and we were you decided to use all these clips of presidential speeches. And one, the one from Kennedy is, uh, um, we have the biggest television sets yeah. and the longest tail of fins in our history. You know, it's just so great. It's just so and USA. again, uniquely American. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyways, we should try to find the Demicon. <laughs> yeah, and if we do, we'll report back. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Yep. All right. We're back. Cool. Something wild. Yep. Next movie, four out of five from 1986. Yeah. Lovely movie. Yeah, uh, really good stuff. Uh, what do you got to say about this one? Oh, I, got, I just love the I yeah. just love the performances. Again, he manages to get performances out of um, out of people that. I mean, Jeff Daniels. He's always playing the schlubby kind of stiff, like um, you know the 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 in. in um, uh, Shirley MacLaine, Jack Nicholson. Uh, Terms of Endearment. Terms of Endearment. Yeah. yeah, he's just like the the. He's, and, he, and he's playing this kind of character too, where he's a very straight-laced accountant uh, and a company, sort of a investment banking kind something, of something, yeah, yuppie New kind York City gracious, nonsense, yeah, yeah. yeah, kind of a nothing business, kind of a business farm <laughs> business. boy. I got that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, just innocent goofball, and uh, Melanie Griffith just picks him up on this and put. Because he he's in a diner and she spots him. Melanie Griffith. Uh, he puts uh, a check in his pocket. He puts a check in his pocket, and she just decides to go bug him about it. Hey you! Hey, hey, hey! You didn't pay for your lunch. What? You didn't pay your bill, big boy. Oh sure, I paid, didn't I? The check's in your pocket. <sighs> Let me guess. Sometimes you don't pay for your lunch. Or maybe you steal the occasional candy bar or newspaper. You're a closet rebel. Oh, that's my uh, telepatron. I'm going to call the office. It's a, just a great escapade mm-hmm. uh, movie with, a, with some really nice plot twists. Um, I love the color, the visual. It's 80s, so it's all retro stuff. Yeah, it's in that's middle right. America. Yeah. It's in middle America, like the hippest thrift store right. you've it's, ever seen. It, it, um, and uh, uh, great. The music her, is awesome. Yeah, the music is awesome. It's an opening song from David Byrne. 
and yeah. uh, just different versions of people singing Wild Thing a, a <laughs> yeah. lot. Yeah. What about the very end credits? How about that? When she's awesome. That's one of yeah. my favorite things about the movie. Yeah, yeah. is that final? End. What's her name? Sister Carol. Sister Carol. Wild thing. my favorite Through the whole thing credits. of the whole movie yeah. is how at the end it she's a character in the movie she's the yeah, waitress she's a, and the diner yeah. the movie the way the movie ends it's it's just a perfect demi touch in that it's peripheral characters getting the spotlight and it's weird in-universe music yeah and yeah. she pans right to her and she sings over the whole credits yeah it's a beautiful thing really it's good fantastic. stuff yeah she sings like six or seven verses and goes mm -hmm. on and on who knew the song it, was that long yeah it probably wasn't it probably was it could have been redone for this yeah uh, so they end up basically uh they end up uh she says she'll give him a ride and and she gets he gets in her like crazy looking green gto that's got some kind of like custom checker design interior she's like clearly uh, uh really got she's, a wild looking car she's a hot rod babe yeah you know? and you know her outfit is crazy she's got like a, i think like an african necklace and all these bracelets <laughs> and uh, i i imagine that this is like the this is like the uh the uh the juvenile delinquent phase of the 50s in high school turning into the 70s you know 70s and 80s and growing up and that's how right it has that flavor to it um yeah like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, and she drags him all the way to new jersey yeah uh, they're in she calls herself lulu right and then um, they're in a motel and she, well i love yeah. when she um she goes. She goes to the liquor store, and that guy, Tracy that act, Walter, the actor, is his name. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, ends yeah. up showing up in a later of these movies as well. Yeah, yeah, he's in a bunch of demis. He's in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. I noticed, and uh, yeah, he's a liquor store owner. And she convinces him to get the ladder and get some. <laughs> well, she asks for scotch, and he gives her Seagram Seagram Seven, Seven, which, which is, is not scotch. scotch thank not you. Scotch. I yeah, yeah. Continuity drives yeah. me nuts. Like that. Well, I think is is that a continuity, or is that just like him, the character being out of it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know because uh, yeah, they're drinking Seagrams in the car. Yeah, a lot of drunk driving in this movie. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, not not yeah. not um not uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Advisable. <laughs> yeah, not advisable. Uh, not not stalwart. She's not a uh, upstanding all-American citizen. But again, it's an all-American uh, look at at. Um, this this whole wild spirit thing of the '80s, where you know it's kind of post-punk, uh, and it's it's just and, and Jeff Daniels gets trash. She handcuffs him to the bed, you know. She <laughs> makes him, him call the... his boss, <laughs> who's Robert Ridgely again from yeah, the yeah. game show host exactly. from Melvin and Howard. Yeah, great great stuff. And she up... just basically puts him into all of these horrible. They're in a. They Situations. early on they go to a restaurant, um, mom and dad's restaurant. Uh, which you know where that is? It's in Tallahassee, Florida. No kidding. I've been to that restaurant, <laughs> and you actually, when it cuts right to it, there's a like an FSU logo in the I shot. I did see that yeah. drive by. It was on the back of a truck. Yeah, like on a trailer. and that restaurant, mom and dad's Tallahassee, Florida. It's supposed to be rural Pennsylvania, I suppose, but yeah, I mean, I've been to that restaurant. It's <laughs> so, it freaked me out. And the the guy who owned the restaurant who's the chef Charles Napier yeah, again Charles Napier go. again and he, there's a great shot of them 
trying to run out on the check. And, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. chases them, and they're driving off, and it just goes. Yeah, yeah. He's on an ass trying yeah. to catch up. He's on. in every single one of uh, these movies. Exactly. And so they end up in a hotel, um, and I wrote down, you know, basically he's, uh, uh, Jeff Daniels, just completely hungover. So a guy that apparently works at the hotel gives him a bunch of Pepto-Bismol. That guy was wearing a shirt that says, oh, right. I don't love you since you ate my dog. I, was, I remember that he said something <laughs> funny, yeah. Good stuff. And yeah, were they? was that Pepto-Bismol they were drinking? I, I thought it, it was yeah. like you. And, and it was, and he was mixing it with something else. Might have been you, right? Been was you. that it? Yeah. And she's pees in that scene too. That, I know. I wrote down peeing scene, <laughs> just like Fawn with Dick and Jane. But that guy also tells him something else that he ends up saying back to a, a, again later in the yeah, movie. Yeah, he says, uh, "Better be a live dog than a dead lion." Uh, <laughs> which is a great which line. Which Jeff ends up saying to another guy later at the very end. Yeah, he's yeah. got it, got it going on. But so there. They're on this road trip, and uh, well, they, they had wrecked the car in, into the into the, the electronic <laughs> sign and, or the channel letter sign that says, "If you're here, you 500 feet <laughs> back is the best, whatever." Yeah, and so they got to get. There's a, a moment where it's just uh, scrapple. I think it says best scrapple. That is yeah. best scrapple in PA. <laughs> That's, That's right. totally what it is. Yes, so then they end up buying a, another car, or a red Catalina, from who? From John Waters. John Waters. He's in there for a second. John Waters is a car dealer. That's brilliant. Pretty casting. good, yeah. yeah. Okay, now, I need to see some valid identification and something showing you do have insurance. Can you take my word for it? No, I'm sorry, I'm afraid not. Okay. How about Mr. Franklin's? Now we're talking. Uh, and again, Jonathan Demme using other directors in his movies, like yeah, Roger Corman yeah, is in yeah. some of these and movies. And also, the, yeah. when they they kind of abandon that car by the side of the road, the the sign, and the motorcycle cop is who is it? John Sales. Oh, really? Yeah. I'd, another director. Because <laughs> I had to go I back didn't and recognize look for that. that. That's so I funny. Said, I said, "He's is that John Sales?" Because he's wearing a helmet. And glasses. I didn't recognize him. That's yeah, so funny. Yeah, I had to look. I had to look it up because I saw him in the credits and I thought, "Okay, where is he?" Huh? Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Two directors. Cool. Yeah, and those, they buy a car, and it says it's a big. Um, and what she yeah she and it says a, bargain on the side <laughs> in big white soap letters. There's a whole scene where. When they're walking away from the cop, and they just very casually just walk off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just leave it, leave and, it there. Yeah, Jeff Daniels kind of freaks out. We gotta get that car back. Just back off, Charlie. If you don't want to hang around, then go back to your barbecues and your brunches. <laughs> it's you know, like he's just a suburban just some square. loser. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I mean, I guess he is, and he's lying about his family too. Is another thing that yeah. she thinks that he is married, but he's divorced. Right. Yeah, but in his mind, he's still married. Right. It's that marriage element again. They end up in a new car that they got from John Waters, and then and then she takes him to, to her, her mom's, mom's house. house. That's right, and then. <laughs> And says, you're going to say we're married. Yeah. And he had been handcuffed to, uh, just like sort of had half of a handcuff on this whole time. Uh, I guess she took it off at that point. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a couple of really crazy scenes there. Like there's a scene between Jeff Daniels and the mom after they had had dinner together where she like... To the mom totally knows that it's fake. Yeah, but, you know, and he's just playing, yeah, this, and playing the it all like, up and... Don't let on that, you know, I know, but, I mean, you can tell your mom knows that it's... You've got a real wife somewhere, don't you, Charlie? Uh, well, it, that's a little complicated, Peaches. Do you love my daughter? Oh, I just met her recently. It's kind of hard to. 
You take care of them. She's got some strange notions about life. And you get her real name is actually Audrey. Her name is not Lulu. You find that whole thing right, out. Right, right on the front porch. She says, yeah. "By the way, my name is Audrey." Yeah. <laughs> He's like, "What?" Yeah. Yeah. She really strings him along, and he just he plays it plays it because he just doesn't have any any other choice really she and sort it's of like half kidnaps it's him a little sort of bit like, in the beginning you it's know. sort of like wake and fright it's a it's sure he ends up yeah, in the yabba sure. stranded that's there, a good point and how you survive and you know it's one of i've talked about this before and i've heard other people talk about it this movie martin scorsese's after hours and john landis into the night is that's a trilogy a trilogy of, of just like mild-mannered goofball gets like suburbanite yeah. young suburbanite uh, yuppies uh, and, it, and ends up because of like sort of a, a counterculture hip kind of girl that he's like fascinated by or, or else in this case kind of just forcibly takes him along with her yeah yeah but they end up going on these bizarre journeys and i think uh this is probably the best of those three movies. Oh, this I is agree. my favorite kind of by a long, a long shot. Um, I did like I did like uh, After Hours for a lot of reasons too, but I agree this one. Yeah. This one really captures. I think that. all three of them are kind of interesting. Yeah, but this yeah. one is you know the just the sort of Jonathan Demme sort of movie about people like humanism of it and, and all yeah. the weird shaggy touches and it's a movie that's all about being on the road i mean it, 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 diners and gas stations and it's you know so, shit yeah. like that it's i love so it cool. fat it's, people in hotels it's, yeah, yeah, rural, yeah. it's just kind of like rural mid-america east coast well yeah, the um, pauline kale line about the american lower middle class and yeah just the uh, the people you see on the road you know they pick up these like hitchhikers and then they all sing wild thing together <laughs> hey you guys want to ride? Oh. Hop in. Hello. Here, let me uh, hop in. Welcome aboard. Wild thing. You make my heart sing. You make everything. Well, the, what 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 ends up happening is after they leave mom's house, she makes it even worse. Uh, um, uh, what's her name? Um, Melanie Griffith, Lulu, Audrey, Audrey, Lulu, yeah. Yeah. Audrey makes it worse by taking him to her ten-year high school reunion. And there's a line. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And then two horrible things happen. Her old boyfriend Ray Liotta ex-husband. Yeah. Well, you don't know that at first. You sort of assume they have some kind of thing going because he's kind of like I haven't seen you in a while. It's really well, vague you, where they're at. You kind of figure because you knew she had an ex-husband. That's where she yeah, got the yeah. GTO. Yeah, like where is, so is this? Is this where it's going? And then in this at, 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 simultaneous to that. Um, the husband of another girl who went to school there is a guy he worked yeah, with. That's right. And so it blows the whole and you're he's married just to this. Freaking out, yeah. But of course, that guy spills the beans right. to, to Ray Liotta. Boy, there's a guy who really landed on his feet. How's that? Nine months ago, his wife takes the kids and runs off with the family dentist. You ask me, it's the best thing that ever happened to Charles Briggs. Yeah, I believe that. He, he comes oh, into this movie the, and just takes it over. Yeah. And Ray's got, you know, this crazy, like, leather jacket that's got some sort of, like, tartan overlay on the bottom of it. You yeah, know what I'm it's, yeah, it's really bizarre. Really bizarre. Uh, but, yeah, just uh, definitely stands out. And he's, this is, like, I guess the first time he really had a significant role in a movie. And he really, you want to talk yeah. about star-making turn. He right, right. Just, you know, I, I think he's 
best better here than he ever was again even goodfellas like it could this, be yeah, this is yeah. The, i, I could, love I, this performance I, I could see that argument yeah. he's really really good he's just scary as fuck well charlie pleased to meet you idea. i'm ray Let's have nice this is irene hi i'm larry dillman hi larry i'm ray hi, this ray. is irene irene hi this is uh, chloe and my wife peggy uh, ray and irene hi well we know old peg don't we peg hi ray uh, Charles and I work together in New York. Yep. Really? Yeah. Ain't that something? Slaving away oh, over the old uh, yeah. Yeah. Here he comes now. <laughs> Larry. I haven't seen you in a while, Audrey. Seems like only yesterday, Ray. How time changes things. Oh, oh sure. Yes. Does. <laughs> what tonight's all about, huh? <laughs> so it takes kind of a it takes kind of a turn. This is this lighthearted road picture. It's a goofy and and uh, okay, he'll eventually go back to his wife and this will all come to a, an end. Right before Ray shows up, um, I don't want to cut you off, but just before we get ahead of ourselves, another great band shows up. Oh, the band of the Feelies. The Feelies. Which is, yeah. He's copying yeah. the black guy dancing. It's so great. So great. Just wanted to make sure we didn't get past that. No, you're that. right. You're but right. Yeah, because right. like, well, that's very pivotal. That high school reunion yeah. is where, where the shit really kind of is. And the other, the other lady who they meet, too, who is like ostensibly Ray Liotta's date, who's in the movie for about four and a half minutes, Irene. But she's really good, too. I she love that really character. Good. Yeah. She's perfect. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> she's in a, she's yeah. a kind of a Christine Lottie kind of a sort of hard, yeah, like a, a tough younger. girl, yeah, yeah, younger version. Um, and, and and they just leave her at the store. Irene, how long has he been in town? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? When did he get out? I don't know. Well, come on, Irene. I swear to God, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just surprised you were when he shut up. Oh God. I wonder what they're talking about. Question. Well, the funny thing is, we were talking about how the how the um, what's his name Hanser Scotch. It's not Scotch. He Hanser Tracy Walter does. Yeah, yeah Tracy Walter and Hanser Seagrams. Uh, she robs him. Mm -hmm. We kind of skipped that part. Well, then Ray Liotta, Ray Liotta dumps his girlfriend. And the three of them, he takes them to a liquor store ostensibly to get cigarettes, and then he robs them and beats the guy up. That's a and crazy that's, scene. That's that's kind of like uh oh. Yeah. This. This is uh, this all seemed harmless and goofy up until and now. And Jeff Daniels wasn't getting the picture up until now. It, we know as the right. audience because Lulu knows, and Jonathan Emmy kind of clues us in as a director that bad things are coming. Yeah. But Jeff doesn't get, or Charlie doesn't get it until that moment. In fact, there's some f just funny dialogue beforehand when they're in the car together, and yeah. he's just like clueless. I know I shouldn't be asking you this. Oh no 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 no. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Audrey was always the hottest thing in school. <laughs> and I was wondering, what is she really like? <sighs> what a gal, Ray. I mean, what a gal. She is, she's impulsive and she imagination that just... No, 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 no. Quit. I mean, in bed. Oh, this... <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> oh, God. And Ray is like, oh, Ray, whose name is Ray in it's the Ray. movie? <laughs> yeah. He's clearly like bad news, but Jeff is just oblivious. Yeah, they're talking that. like they're neighbors at a barbecue. Know, <laughs> such a goofball. So what's she like in bed? Oh, you're right. I shouldn't have said yeah. that. Uh, 
now. That's because Jeff gets indignant. What you, yeah. He gets indignant, but then he goes, oh, that's okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what do you drive, Charlie? The Ford station wagon. A station wagon! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The real situation emerges, as I say. Right. Um, and so she... They end up in a motel again, in a different yeah, motel. Yeah, yeah. He drags them both yeah. to a motel and explains, this is my wife... And I know you don't have a wife, and so we're all full of shit. Right, yeah. Uh, I'm, he's the only one not full of shit, Ray, is, uh, is suddenly right. the reality comes crashing down and, in the form of Ray. Yeah. And uh, you can hear, he's like, there's a couple moments where he's just yelling at people in the other hotel room. Yeah, because, yeah, kick his foot really through the wall. really on edge. Bullshit! Get up in there! You shut the fuck up, God damn it! Why are you talking to us? In that hotel room, and like you were saying, it's just like something out of Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. It's just totally bizarre, great. like uh, garish wallpaper and stuff. Yeah, and the drapes and mm -hmm. the and the furniture, everything about it is just. And, and there's a, like a bonfire going up down the. It's sort of like a converted hotel. It's one of those kind of hundred dollar a week places on right, on like US a federal one. highway they have yeah, over there. Yeah, US yeah. yeah. Uh, and and that that kind of gets really weird where they they. You know, where Charlie, the Jeff Daniels character, he gets tossed out on his ass and basically yeah. like, you're you're done, you're out of here, you're not in the picture. And they, anymore. you know, she kind of like, oh yeah, I'll go with you, Ray, but she's not really wanting to do that. No, she's just doing she's it really because it's what you, you have to Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Jeff Daniels follows them to wherever they go. They end up in another groovy motor court with a pool. Yeah. I've stayed in a million places like that. I know. That. I just want to say, this movie is all As gas stations and motels. Yeah, and it is just, man, oh, man, do I love the, the sort of highways that I get, yeah, you will. He, right, he parks at a black uh, black church across the street and, um, uh, and watches them. I love it because this, this young black girl comes up to him and he's asleep in the car. Yeah, she wakes says, him up. Mister, do you need any help? Yeah, just asking if you're okay. Yeah, just again, like, the humanism and sort of like three-dimensional peripheral characters yeah, yeah. you get. That's all, get, so he, all over John the So he goes to the gas station across, so he's following them and he parks at the gas what station a, across the street. What a great scene. <laughs> oh my God. All right, Charlie, that's 13.50. Oh, thanks, Nelson. Right on there. All and right. I put a soda on there, too. You got it. And let's put a road map on there. Hey, anything you want, Charlie. Excuse me, George. Thank you. Hey, that shirt there, what happened? What? Shirt. Oh, it's, uh, I'm, uh, got, uh, prone to nosebleeds, so, uh, uh, yeah, let's, uh, tell you what, let's put a shirt, put a shirt on there, too, all right? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, how about a hat? You got it. Okay. Right here for you. And, uh... Do you have any trousers? Trousers? No trousers. How about Damn. some shorts? Shorts? Yeah. yeah. Put. Uh, let's go with some shorts. Yeah, about about large, shorts. right? Uh, large? Yeah. Yeah. Large, yeah. Right here. Sounds good. Okay. Me How about some socks? Socks? Yeah. Put some socks on All the. Right. Uh, there you go. Sounds good. Sunglasses. I need sunglasses. Nah, keep them. You're beautiful. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Nelson. <laughs> there's another. He's like putting on shorts in the middle of the store. The guy's like, "Hey, you know." There's a yeah. Be cool, man. Yeah. Be cool, man. There's a whole thing in this movie about uh, uh, name tags too. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Charlie is always called the old other name. Yeah, he's still and he's still wearing like the the 
<laughs> the reunion name tag. That's how the guy in the store. How do you know my name? He's wearing it. He didn't even remember. Yeah. yeah. Did you talk about, I mean, we did talk about the shirt that the guy was wearing at the other motel. Did you see what the hat, not the one that Jeff buys, but the other hat uh, in the gas station says? Just, it's really right in the front of the oh, frame. Oh, I didn't see it. It says, wine em, dine em, 69 em. <laughs> It's like so visible. Oh, and, man. And another just, that movie also is one of my favorite random peripheral characters. When Jeff Daniels walks up to the gas station, there's like a big Civil War cannon outside the gas station oh, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when he goes inside, the guy in front of him is a reenactor. I guess fully regalia <laughs> confederate. That's right. Actor. I totally gloss over that. That's, That's like great. the my moment with the mariachi guy struck me totally like that kind yeah, of wow. thing. And then when Jeff walks out of either that gas station or a different gas station, there's just like a circle of kids like rapping. You try to be like Phil, but you're not from Philly. Don't say you're best. All you do is best. Some MCs make it big and they think they're the best. But you got it all wrong. Just singing those songs. The dudes For a second. Yeah. <laughs> I love stuff like that. Yeah, rapping in a gas station. Yeah. That's like just, a rap And that's like, that's music. That's like specific characters that's all the like the demi-humanism i always talk about i totally uh, forgot to mention this just quickly we talk about that sh that sh that hat that probably nobody noticed i'm there sure some, some production designer put it there oh, because oh, he oh yeah it was but funny. i mean like yeah. the studio or the right, center yeah. nobody nobody knows. picked up well, on it there was something happened in swing shift and the version that's on prime has this scene the scene early on when um ed harris comes home from work to Goldie Hawn because they're married and he's out of the shower and wearing a white towel mm -hmm. he sits in the chair and he flashes his junk oh really and, I didn't notice that wow <laughs> I didn't I wouldn't have noticed it either <laughs> except that um, Prime uh, Detail says oh that's the best that they, they said this this scene happened and nobody noticed and it got released this wow. way with a PG I mean you can see his entire junk that is it, insane it's, it's, it's hilarious so then they said what happened is they took it out later for uh, some DVD release, but then it ended up, that scene was back in the version Turner Classic oh, we're showing. Well, it's, that, and it's in this one. That's why it's so. a classic. Yeah, it's hilarious. So stuff like that cracks me up. That is funny. Um, like Jeff Daniels' white shoes. Mm. And a high school reunion. It's just he. She buys him a really groovy thrift store suit. Yeah. And he looks like you know something out of Talking Heads. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. You know that David Byrne did the opening song in this movie and as there well. You go. Yeah, and yeah, that's, that's the, a tie-in. There's you know, David Byrne and Jonathan Demme is a sort of great long-running collaboration that we didn't talk about too much here. But of course, there's uh, "Stop Making Sense," which yeah, is yeah. directed by Jonathan Demme. Uh, David Byrne did the score for "Married to the Mob." I think it's his only movie score. Wow! And then, I didn't uh, know that. Uh, and then there's "True Stories," which is David Byrne's movie, which is so highly influenced by Jonathan Demme and like Robert Altman. It's very much like you can see it and he puts a special thank you to Demme at the end as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a groovy c uh, connection. Yeah, groovy I connection. think I think they were, they must have been very good friends at least at this time. Well. <laughs> we're back to the movie. Yeah, back to the movie. I was just thinking okay. that, um, you know, uh, uh, Charlie eventually um, they're they're in the adjoining restaurant. Like a lot of these motor courts, yeah. have these adjoining restaurants. This great um, restaurant with these glasses that are boots. That yeah, yeah, out of, these yeah. drinking beer. Other so so Ray Liotta and and uh, 
and Lulu, Audrey, are, are in there. Charlie a, tracks them there, there's a, yeah. Yeah, there's a cop there. So Charlie says, oh, here's this my chance. Uh-huh. He sits down. They do what uh, what Lulu did to Charlie, which is stick him with a check. Yeah. Oh, I got this, and walks up and tells the little waitress he's going to take her. Yeah, and, check. Then and then they wave to the window. No wallet, yeah. no keys, no nothing. So they think they've gotten rid of him, and they take off all the way back to Charlie's house. And but he ends up getting out of it, uh, and. Some little teenage girl yeah. who works there lets him. He like randomly seduces, room. and that's a really great scene. He's got some great lines, and when when they're in the motel, uh, I think him and the girl. There's a scene right around here. I don't remember exactly, but another just prominent shot of a guy, open window, just this like shirtless fat guy standing <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, next door. yeah, prominently <laughs> shot. I love that. Kind in of fact, shit. that's a he steals Ray steals that guy's car. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, that, there you go. Uh, roughly. Right about there. Oh yeah. But yeah, they all end up back at Jeff Daniels' house in New York, right? Yeah. And they're uh, they're um, ready to crash, and yeah. Ray shows up. He shows up, and it's a it's a it's a pretty it's violent, a real confrontation, frightening yeah. ending. And when you you think about the movie that came before it, it is quite shocking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know something bad's going to happen, but. How bad? Because it's been a kind of a comic misadventure movie. For even for up the, to that point. Even, even, that even point, after yeah. the... There's the scene where he assaults the gas station attendant, which, you know, sidebar of sidebars, he's wearing a Little Creatures shirt, which is the <laughs> Talking Heads album. That's the, <laughs> yeah, on his shirt. That's right. when, when, uh, he, but that gas station... <laughs> back to where we were. Right. Um, where were we? Um, we were talking about about, about Ray, the violence. Yeah, in and the end, you and don't how, right, and how it, it does sneak up on you because even after the other sort of otherwise violent parts, it still maintained a tone of goofiness. Uh, yeah, even though she robs a liquor store and he, and he robs a liquor store with violence. You look at fun with Dick and Jane; they rob mm-hmm. people all the time until suddenly they're in a police chase right. and they start thinking. Maybe this isn't a good idea. But they're the opposite of Ray. Ray is a is a felon. Yes. I mean, he's a convicted felon. He's out. He just loves crime. He's just really he yeah, just digs thrill, it. Yeah, he digs seeker. it. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's oh, a, there's the story about I I was saying I may be uneducated, but I'm not stupid. He does. He has the story where I'm gonna tell you something, Charlie. When I used to do this for a living, I used to pull a job in some liquor store, run around the corner. Pull off the ski mask I was wearing, put on a different coat, and walk right back into the place I just robbed. (laughs) Man, it was wild. Those people would be so flipped out they wouldn't know their own mothers. I'd be standing there when they described what happened and who robbed them. (laughs) That's a great little part. Um, So needless to say, the ending is really heavy duty. I mean, it's really heavy duty. With those back and forth, uh, eyeline close-ups of Jeff Daniels and Ray Liotta uh, oh, yeah. in the final confrontation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That happens, and then the the very end is how Ray meets his demise. Should we talk about that? Is yeah, he, Jeff doesn't actually stab him or make any aggressive motion. He's got the whole. He's holding the mirror, and Ray almost impales himself. He's holding himself. Ray's knife. And, Ray's knife. That's what yeah, it was. And, it's like, and he screams, "No, Ray!" So, and Ray runs right into which is he's he's hoisted by his own batar. Yeah, right? and I, Jeff Daniels does not have those instincts at all. And he 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 tells him, "Don't come at me." Yeah, I'm holding right. his knife. So that uh. I mean, I guess we spoil movies, but yeah, you know, well, I mean, we've done it before. Yeah, I just it's, it's important, important to talk about. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an important moment. And it's an important sort of like sensitivity thing that I think is 
interesting about being in a John the Demi movie. It's of a piece of what he what he normally does. It's a it's a it's it's a it's a fi- it's a finalization of you. You really know what Melanie Griffith and Ray Liotta are about, but Jeff is the one who changes real drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, but not drastically enough that he's actively like tr- trying to harm anybody. Right. No. Exactly. Yeah. He just is is his. Uh, it, who he who he is has become somebody else. He's somebody better right. and stronger, and he quits his job. Hey, Larry. It's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. It's been good working with you, Charlie. But he goes looking for her, and then she finds him back at there, the same time. Yeah. It's, a, it's a happy ending. It's a nice ending, and she's driving like some kind of strange uh, uh, like wooden car from the 30s it's a, or something. That's one of those... Um, uh, in fact, it's on the cover of a Beach Boy. We were talking about the Beach oh, Boys really? earlier. Is that it's one of those the woodies. woodies? Yeah, yeah it's a woody, but I forget who makes them or what they're uh, I think during World War II, a lot of... All the companies made them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably Jeep. Metal shortage, like yeah. a Jeep thing, kind of. A... I, you know, I mean, that's, uh, I don't know Anyway, something wild. Yeah. Uh, something wild. The 80s are an ec- a decade that, uh, once Reagan got elected, I kind of spent most of my waking hours under my bed uh, for those good eight years. Sure. And um, movies and music were the only thing that... Um, that saved me. And this movie, I remember seeing it on cable when it came out. It was great and still great. And, uh, you know, um, that's this a movie like this is obviously such a, a kind of countercultural voice and a, a sort of against the Reaganite mainstream, right? Like, it's that's the whole sort of vibes of the movie, I think, and, and sort of a celebration of the wild. Yeah. And, and I think John and Demi has always got that kind of pushing back against conservative instinct, which is why Goldie Hawn's swing shift is so fucking weird. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's total... All... Yeah, I mean, we talked about yeah, it already. Yeah, and it just it, sucked... Yeah, it, uh, it, yeah it, you can imagine if you took this movie and just sucked the humanity out of it and just made it a... a, a Love triangle where yeah. somebody's gonna die. Yeah. And you just focused on that. And it would be kind of like, eh. yeah. Um, you or know, you know, so like Melvin and Howard. It wasn't a. It could have very much been a courtroom drama about how this will was found and da da da. Yeah, but no, yeah. it's just about a guy. Yeah. yeah. And when we talk about Philadelphia later, that we we said the same thing. Well, that is it a could have been, drama, but yeah, it, it could have just much, been that. It could have been an episode of Perry Mason. A hundred percent. And I think a lot. Well, a lot of people still think it is, which is so unfortunate. But that's when I watched yeah. it again last night. Um, I thought, shit, this is a lot better than I remember because yeah. I don't, I didn't remember how good it was. And on that note. Yeah. We're back and we're talking about Philadelphia. That's right.
from 1993. The movie that was made. Jonathan Demme had just won an Oscar coming off uh, Silence of the Lambs, making this movie. And uh, Silence of the Lambs was a movie that I guess was criticized by a lot of uh, gay groups. And some people say that he made this movie as an attempt at atonement for that. Because I guess the Buffalo Bill character was interpreted by some homophobic people as gay. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah. he's, he's not supposed to be. And I, I, I don't know. I read that. that yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, I, never, I never knew that. Um, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, I don't think Bill it's was a, very effeminate, but yeah, I don't know but, yeah, I mean, well, what that means. It didn't mean either, but it was... I guess at the time, some folks were protesting Real Silence of the Lambs. Way, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> gotcha. Uh, for that, I mean, I, I don't know if Demi ever said that, but that was like something that was written about in reviews. It's like, oh, is this an atonement for that? Yeah, inter- uh, interesting coincidence. Yeah, that, uh, because this is a movie about um, uh, about um, a lawyer, Tom Hanks, young lawyer, who's right in the beginning of the movie. He's promoted by Jason Robards, one of our favorites. Who's again our, our another favorite artist. He's yeah. very good in this movie too. Yeah, he is yeah. very good. He's actually kind of playing against type. He's a, he's not. He's not a gruff, lovable type in this movie. He's no, he's kind just of kind of a like, gruff shithead type. Yeah, a gruff shithead type. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the law firm, they promote him to a full associate or whatever, but um, during this celebration, one of the guys goes, What's that in your forehead, pal? What, where? That right there in your forehead. Oh, oh I got whacked in the head with a racquetball. And uh, he has AIDS. Immediately, everybody's suspicious over there. Right. The lead, the one of the part, the suspicious partner, Robert Ridgely, again. Yeah. See, Demi uses the same actors over and over. Yeah, more yeah. than just about anybody. He does have this repertory company of people. Yeah, and I think it's like old so Warner neat. Brothers. Uh, yeah, studio he really does. Yeah, you know, like Napier is always in those movies, mm-hmm. and Tracy Walter, and. Uh, uh, some other Roger Gorman is in a lot. Roger Gorman, yeah, Roger Gorman's in this one. Yeah, Yeah. so he's got like these supporting folks that he always works with. Um, Same cinematographer all the time, Tak Fujimoto. Fujimoto. And this movie, the editor Craig McKay really shines a lot. There's a lot of excellent editing. Uh, and he worked with Demi in most of his movies as well. So you know, it seems like he had this real kind of company of people that he worked with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's really it's really an intense movie, and you understand the premise right away. Mm-hmm. He um, he's a real go-getter, really good lawyer. It's a really important important lawsuit, one of the biggest ones of the firm ever took on. He's given the job. Uh, one of the briefs, he leaves on his desk, and you see him leave it on his desk, and then it disappears, and everybody's calling him in a panic, and he's at home hiding mm-hmm. because he's got lesions, and he's sick as a dog, and it's really hitting him fast, and he's trying to trying to be a successful lawyer. And, right, and, and juggle a lot of plates, I guess, age, and, yeah, and, and keep his uh, his sort of gayness hidden, his homosexuality hidden from the, the law firm. From the law firm. Yeah. Of, course, of course, you don't know until later how homophobic they are. Right. Um, uh, and so he gets fired ostensibly for doing a bad job for losing the brief. Something's come over you lately, Andy. I don't know. Some kind of stupor, uh, fogginess. Uh, Some people think you have an attitude problem, Beckett. Really? Who thinks that? I do. Excuse me. Am I being fired? Well, the brief had been put... Sabotage. Yeah, had been sabotaged. It was put in uh, 
later on, the, one, of the, one of the clerks who works for him, Bradley who really Bird, likes yeah. him, well, the woman who really likes him worked under oh, him. Oh, yeah. She said, yeah, we found it in the in the dead file, which is where you've put cases that are closed. Was that the same lady who was with the earrings? Lydia said that Mr. Wheeler had a problem with my earrings. Really? Apparently, Mr. Wheeler felt that they were too ethnic, is the word she used, and she told me that he said that he would like it if I wore something a little less garish, a little smaller, and more American. What'd you say? I said my earrings are American. They're African-American. No, the yeah. black lady she's was great. Uh, yeah. She's really Anna good. Devere Smith, who yeah. is a I know her from the West Wing. She played like a national security advisor, but oh. she is a, a famous like New York theater actress apparently. She's really yeah, good. Yeah, really this. good. Yeah, yeah. So ostensibly, it's a courtroom drama because um, Tom Hanks is is clearly sick visibly. Mm -hmm. You can tell, uh, and he's gone around to lawyers. So he go early in the movie. Um, he squares off with Denzel Washington, who's basically an ambulance chaser. Right, he's on TV. Uh, yeah. say, You're the, uh, the TV, TV guy! guy. <laughs> Even when uh, when Tom Hanks is early on, he has to go to the hospital. There's a commercial, right? Yeah, uh, there, uh, yeah. right in the right in the uh, right in the emergency room there, and uh, he goes to see Denzel Washington, who's very homophobic and petrified of yeah. being around him. Even plan on bringing a wrongful termination suit against Charles Wheeler and his partners. You want to sue Wyant, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown? Correct. I'm seeking representation. Continue. I misplaced an important complaint. That's their story. Want to hear mine? How many lawyers you go to before you call me? Nine. Continue. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing I just cannot get through my thick head. Didn't you have an obligation to tell your employer you had this dreaded, deadly, infectious disease? That's not the point. From the day they hired me to the day I was fired, I served my clients consistently, thoroughly, with absolute excellence. If they hadn't fired me, that's what I'd be doing today. And they don't want to fire you for having AIDS, so in spite of your brilliance, they'd make you look incompetent, thus the mysterious lost file. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Correct. I was sabotaged. I don't buy it, counselor. That's very disappointing. I don't see a case. I have a case. If you don't want it for personal reasons. Thank you, that's correct. I don't. Well, thank you for your time, counselor. But it's about he him. He clearly has a case. He clearly yeah. has a and case. And then Denzel immediately runs to the doctor, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it, he, it's the, the homophobia and the AIDS say. phobia yeah. of that era. I remember writing right here, I said, this was a terrible time that brought out the worst in some people. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and he, they mentioned the gay play, the gay yeah. cancers. Yeah. And the uh, Denzel character, you know, he takes on the case, but he's, you know, reluctant to, right? And I think right. the way the movie presents it, at least, is 
this is sort of the default American male stand at this moment. Most people think this way about yeah. this issue. Right, and right. he, Denzel even says that. There's certain points that I must prove to you. Point number one, Andrew Beckett was, is a brilliant lawyer, great lawyer. Point number two, Andrew Beckett, afflicted with a debilitating disease, made the understandable, the personal, the legal choice to keep the fact of his illness to himself. Point number three, his employers discovered his illness. And ladies and gentlemen, the illness I'm referring to is AIDS. Point number four, they panicked. And in their panic, they did what most of us would like to do with AIDS, which is just get it and everybody who has it as far away from the rest of us as possible. He yeah, says yeah. something exact, which we'll put it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, he's saying that he's saying that um, he's saying that people are ignorant, but yet he's the first one to go to the doctor and say, "So I can't just get it. Right. If I pick it up from touching his, his shaking his hand, or you know, any of that stuff." Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting transformation. You were saying that Denzel's performance in this is really—he's absolutely the best. Yeah, um, because Tom Hanks does a great job, and Tom Hanks won the Oscar. Uh, for Tom Hanks, I think I, I talk about this a lot. Is as far as like a persona shift, as far one movie can just completely change the type of actor you are, mm -hmm. and I think this movie did that for Tom Hanks more than just about any other movie. Yeah, because you know up until this point he was mostly in silly stuff, and you know so it's not to say he's not great in the movie because he is, but Denzel Washington is the one with the character arc. He's mm -hmm. the one who has to learn one thing and grow from. So he's sort of like secretly actually the main character right which That's is right yeah which is not something that he's the american public the ignorant public that's, right. that's what's waking the, up the default it, state yeah. of mind yeah and it's he learns so slowly and you know again i'm going to talk about roger ebert uh because i read a lot of roger ebert there's one line where he talks not even in reference to this movie but he has a famous line about movies being the world's greatest empathy machine and the <laughs> The first performance in the first movie is Denzel in this movie. It's exact. It's a movie about learning to kind of become a little bit more of a human being. Yeah, a better human. Yeah, being sure. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. It's very true. And you, um, and you, and you, you see through Tom Hanks and through some astonishing camera work um, <laughs> that you see. You're almost like you're feeling. Uh, you're feeling his. There's a, a a scene where he's playing. He's, they're trying to do a Q and A for the trial, mm -hmm. and Tom Hanks is like, "This is my favorite aria," and he and it's shot from overhead. A lot of and red. He's carrying and carrying, yeah, and he's carrying around. He's he's hooked up to an IV, so he's on that got that rolling thing with him, and everything's just kind of always in this slow swirling motion, and this music is intense music. And it keeps cutting back to Denzel, who's looking right into the camera, but um, those, uh, sideways kind those of. Those great sort of shots that Demi always yeah, does. Yeah, and you can see in his face what he's realizing about that this is life and death. This mm -hmm. isn't just a fucking... And this isn't a commercial. This isn't meeting, uh, you know, Dr. J. That's right, yeah. This they, suite. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, when he serves when he serves a law firm with uh, their subpoena, he barges into their suite at a 76ers game, and Dr. J happens to be there. It's and really Dr. Funny. J, Jason Roberts, and he hands him his card. Hey, if you need anything, let me and know. Jason Roberts' character is Charles Wheeler, and so Chuck uh, um, is what he. Dr. J goes, "Hey, Chuck, what's up?" <laughs> <laughs> I love that yeah, scene. It's so hilarious. Fun. And that's the thing, like. 
this when we, we talk about this movie, it might sound very didactic and sort of like a heavy bummer, and it's a very emotional movie. But I don't think it's a heavy bummer. I think it no. moves along at such a sort of like artful way. Uh, you talked about the time compression and yeah. the editing and the uh, uh, camera work in this movie. It feels like a thriller in a lot of ways. It does. You know, I I had the strangest sense of like the word Hitchcockian which is not something you'd think about this movie ever but think about Tom Hanks in the courtroom uh, at the very end and how the camera like almost does that Jaws shot on it. Yeah him. yeah and everything's kind of kind of sideways like you're just about to tilt yeah. over it's it's like that line um uh, uh, the cinematographer who worked on Rosemary's Baby. William Fraker. Yeah Billy Fraker is like uh, you know he, he says okay so I'm gonna shoot it says it says dolly down the hall and turn into the uh, bedroom and and uh, and what's her name is on the phone. Uh, uh, Rosemary. Rosemary's yeah. on the phone, and he shoots it and he and and Polanski goes no no Billy you know and he said you go really 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 slow and then when you get to the door you turn really really slow. And he said when he saw the screening, Billy Fraker was in the back, and he said the entire audience moves their neck, moved yeah. their neck trying to see around the corner. And Demi does that with this, uh, and, and and it's Steadicam. Mm-hmm. So and, and the Steadicam operator is the inventor. I think it's Garrett Brown. Garrett I think Brown. that's his name. But uh, Either I always way. see him early mm-hmm. on. We're talking about the talking about how much the Steadicam is in use in Philadelphia as a helicopter yeah. shot. Incredible shot of the statue that's on top of a building. Of the building, yeah. I don't, I don't some know what it is. revolutionary figure. But it's clearly a helicopter shot because yeah. there are no drones back then. And the camera does not stop moving. It's such, no. it's It's amazing. a movie that is unbelievably exciting to watch. This, like, issue-oriented courtroom drama is filmically so exciting. And Jonathan Demme is... You know, not every director would do that, right? No, not every exactly. director, yeah, not every director would do that. Yeah, yeah, it's very signature of him, and it's a sort of a culmination of a lot of great um, work up to that point. Like you said, he just won for Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. It's another. I think this is movie. probably his masterpiece movie that he's made. I yeah. agree. I, I, agree. I think it's one of the best American movies of the '90s. I think yeah. if anything, it's underrated. Yeah, it's incredibly yeah. life affirming. It's mm-hmm. it's not, um, you know, and we were talking about uh, how. How how bad how this brought out the worst in people. It shows protests, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, I remember Reagan was just oblivious and, and heartless. Well, of course, there's that AIDS. horrible clip of the press secretary yeah, laughing just, at the the yeah. one reporter who had any clue to ask about it. It's known as gay plague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's a pretty serious thing that uh, one in every three people that get this have died, and I wonder if the president is aware of it. I don't have it. Are you? Do you? You don't have it. Well, I'm relieved to hear that, Larry. Do you? You didn't answer my question. How do you know? Does the president, in other words, the White House looks on this as a great joke. No, I don't know anything about it, Lester. Does the president, does anybody in the White House know about this epidemic, Larry? I don't think so. I don't think there's been any. There's been no personal experience here, Lester. No, I mean. I thought you were Doctor, I checked thoroughly with Dr. Ruge this morning, and he's had no uh, <laughs> no patients he, he suffered from AIDS or whatever it is. The president doesn't have gay plague. Is that what you're saying, or what? No, didn't say that. Didn't say that. Yeah, and I think the I think the movie really captures the feel that of how atmosphere. Bad yeah. It Even Denzel in the store, the convenience store, when the one he meets the other guy. What do you think I'm gay? Aren't you? 
What's the matter with you? Do I look gay to you? Do I look gay to you? Joe, relax. No, we mean relax. You know how to kick your faggoty little ass. Take it as a compliment. Jeez. You know, that is exactly the kind of bullshit that makes people hate you a little. Faggoty ass. You want to try and kick my ass, Joe? Asshole. No, you're the asshole, buddy. <laughs> we'll play Denzel over that. <laughs> You're right, though. It's 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 an incredible movie. Um, uh, it's a highlight I had in my career arranging sheet music, uh, which I did for almost 40 years. Um, when this movie came out, we had the rights to do the soundtrack. So Neil Young uh, did a mm -hmm. closing song. Sometimes I think that I know what love's all about, and when I see. I did the sheet music on that. Springsteen does the opening tune. Which, that one won the Oscar. I think, I like the Neil Young song, too, though. Peter Gabriel I, does a version of it. I like, like later it on. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a version that Peter Gabriel did, like, you know, 15 years later, uh, on his album Scratch My Back, which is just I him covering people. Cool album. It's Peter Gabriel and an orchestra covering pop songs. He just wow. Paul Simon, he does uh, uh, David Bowie, he does all, the, all kinds of stuff. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a wonderful soundtrack, and I got to uh, work on the sheet music for it, so I got to listen to it a lot. I did see the movie when it came out. Uh, Joanne Woodward also mm -hmm. has a really good turn she as his mom, good. and she, you hadn't seen her doing much work around then so you know no you're like, right yeah, yeah um mainly like she didn't in the really 60s play and 70s, moms yeah. all the time no, or anything yeah. like that it's just like you're right yeah it's just, it's just kind of like oh joanne woodward hello hey mom oh hi darling what a wonderful surprise how are you good well what does dr gilman say Dr. Gilman says, I am fine. My blood work is excellent. She says, my T-cells are steady. Honey, how about your platelets? What did she say? Oh, even my platelets look good. Great. Mom, more importantly, how are you? Mom? I'm fine. How's Dad? Dad is fine. Yeah, Bradley Whitford has a... Bradley Whitford is in there. Has a turn. As the a, guy... Uh, works there. What's his name? I, I don't have his name off the top of my head, unfortunately. But Tom Hanks's dad is a, a like a reverend who's Jonathan Demme's cousin. I and thought he was really good. He's great. Too. Yeah, he's got this great sort of like emotional stolidity. You know, yeah, real kind yeah. Of like, he's not stoic, but he's very self-contained, very strong, and yeah, an and very empathetic and yes. very loving. You know, very. a guy who probably could easily have not been easily. Yeah, yeah. The whole family around Tom Hanks. His sisters and brothers, you know, they're all behind him. And he says, I know this trial's going to fuck your whole life up. And uh, I'm sorry about it. I'm just telling you now, you know. And they're all behind him. And Miguel's family is supportive. His extended family is shown as well. Like, yeah. it's just Miguel's Antonio Banderas, yeah. the boyfriend of Tom Hanks. And it's really, it's just really well done. You know? Yeah, it's and, a good movie. And, uh, you know, the courtroom tries to, and it was also reflective of the time, too, that the... 
the 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 legal firm that he's suing mm-hmm. is represented by Mary Steenburgen, and yep. another Demi Faye, and who plays the judge? Who plays Charles the judge? Napier? Yeah, yeah. you mm-hmm. got Charles Napier, and Mary Steenburgen is, it was great in Melvin and Howard, mm-hmm. and uh, so she plays the shithead lawyer, and she's really good as the shithead lawyer. Really good, and yeah. she gets this line that she improvised, but she uh, I guess asked Demi, and Demi's like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna keep it in. Uh, after she sits down and just goes, I hate this case. Which, <laughs> you know, that character would not have been a three-dimensional character had it not been for that line, right? That character That's would have right. been quite a cardboard evil. That's but right. Mary Seymour yeah. is such a good actress, you see the empathy through that. Yeah, You yeah, see the she... struggle that she's having. You even see Jason Robard struggling, because otherwise, he up to this point, he really liked Andy. Yeah, yeah, Andy was great. And he that's was... what these shots of people's faces, you can see the all the nuance and all the actors. Yeah. That's, you know... They don't want to be sued, and they don't want to pay out four million plus. But they, and they know what they're doing is wrong. They do, yeah. They know it. And even there's the one guy, um, the one partner who is actually kind of a willing to go to Andy's funeral at the end. The mm-hmm. uh, uh, who bought, uh, what's his name, Ron Vodder, who's a guy who's in a couple yeah. of Demi movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, that another guy, theater yeah. actor. Yeah. Uh, so, so the the funny thing is that. Uh, I was going to say something about the legal part of it, but you know what's funny? That line, uh, Mary Steenburgen line, reminds me of something that happened recently. This is not, it's just totally off topic, but it reminds me of this. The third baseman of the Phillies picked up a foul ball, you know, during play, and, and he walks it over to the pitcher, and they got him on camera, not audibly, but oh, you can funny. see he says, I fucking hate this place. And so they started making shirts. That's good. I fucking, with a PH. Oh, you know, nice like for Philly the Phillies. <laughs> yeah, I fucking yeah, hate this place. Good. And he did, had to do a press conference later, and he said, yeah, you know, the fans are busting my ball. They yeah, boo every time do? I touch the Why ball. Why not do it? He yeah. said, I want to play baseball, sure. and I do love this town, but right. these fans are fucking... I know the game. It's the rules they make up. You and B.A. and yeah, Okay, exactly. Well, Philadelphia, though... Um, it's wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I love it. I love it a lot. Yeah. Um, there's other things we could probably say about it, but uh, we're going to leave it uh, at there? I don't know. Leave it there. Well, that's our last movie, so Let's what else do we want to talk about Denny? Denny did. Um, um, well, you know what? One thing I do want to say is, yeah, we talked about Mary Steenburgen wins an Oscar for Melvin and Howard. We talked about Tom Hanks wins an Oscar here. Jodie Foster wins an Oscar for Silence of the Lambs. Hello. Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Jonathan Demme has this thing where actors in his movies win Oscars, and I think my theory is it has a lot to do with how he and Tak Fujimoto shoot faces, because you can see emotions so vividly. I think that's a great point. Yeah, that's my always. That's something I wanted to say. And yeah. it's good. Yeah. It's, I think that's absolutely correct, sir. Because mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. There you because go. So many characters are looking right in the camera, yeah. and they're right looking right at you, and you can see, you can read everything, the you can f- read their soul through their the eyes. The fact that there wasn't a supporting actor nomination for Denzel in this movie is strange, because it's really of one of my favorite performances. Uh, who's the other supporting uh, nominations that year? The 93 Oscars that year, Tommy Lee Jones won for The Fugitive. Uh, the other nominees is Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List, which is a great performance. Yeah. It is a, a truly chilling performance. You got Leo DiCaprio's first nomination as the brother in What Eating Gilbert Grape. Oh, he was incredible. I've not seen that. it. Yeah, I've oh, not seen it. He was incredible in So that. he's there. And then John Malkovich in The Line of Fire. 
Good movie. Malkovich plays a Malkovich villain. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Clint Eastwood movie. It's pretty good, but it's a weird nomination. And then Pete Postlewaite in The Name of the Father, which I've not seen, Irish movie. That's so. uh, name of the father is um, is my left foot. That guy, Jim Sheridan. Um, I mean, the oh, the actor, actor, the actor is Dan- Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, yeah, Daniel that's Day-Lewis. who it is. Right, yeah, that's right, who it is. Right. Yeah. Yep. I have seen that. Real quick, you know, that was five films from John the Demi. Let's just talk about the other stuff he did because man, did he do a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I think he's worth doing another movie one day. But he did a couple movies for Roger Corman, including Caged Heat! Exclamation point, which is yeah. a women was, in prison picture. Yeah, we talked about how Roger Corman, we were gonna down way down the road do a yeah. five films from direct famous directors who started out as nobodies under Corman. Under Corman, so yeah. you got you know Joe Dante, Ron Howard. Uh, James Cameron. James, yeah. Scorsese yeah, yeah. And, and Coppola even had early pictures under, exactly. under Corman. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, so uh, some other stuff. A couple, just some B-movies. Uh, Fighting Mad, Crazy Mama, haven't seen them. Citizen's Band, which uh, we talked about, Paul Lamott, but mm-hmm. haven't seen that. Interlaced stories of several characters united by their CB radios. I've had, it, I've had trouble finding that, I yeah. think. Again. So, Last Embrace, Melvin and Howard, something called Who Am I This Time, which is TV, I think, 53 minutes. Uh, Stop Making Sense. Great yeah. talking at concert movie. Yeah, there you that's go. a movie that uh, is, I, I love it. It's, uh, I love the talking ads, I love all the songs on it, uh, especially uh, that version of This Must Be the Place. Home. Killer. Great, good stuff. I need to watch that again. I yeah, seen it's it real good. Uh, he did some documentaries. He did a Spalding Gray monologue movie, Swimming to Cambodia. Yeah, which I'd like to see. I Spalding did see that. Gray is when an it came interesting out, guy. Really good. Yeah, I bet. Uh, more... He manages to make uh, basically sitting by a guy sitting behind a desk yeah. talking. It's primarily what we're looking at. Sure. And yeah, and he's talking about what his experience working on the Killing Fields. That movie. Mm-hmm. That's the, the premise. Yeah. yeah. So that sounds interesting. Married to the Mob's a funny movie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, very funny. Michelle Pfeiffer, really good. Er- yeah. Early Alec Baldwin, I think, like, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very you're early right. Alec Baldwin you're right. at the beginning of the movie. It's kind of early Michelle Pfeiffer, too. Really yeah, funny. well, yeah, uh, around, like, the Into the Night. We just talked about Into the yeah. Night. Yeah. And um, who else was in that? Oh, Oscar nominations in Demi movies. Dean Stockwell got an Oscar nomination for that. Oh, wow. Tony the Yeah, Tiger. that's right. Yeah. Right. Wow, is he great in he that? He is great, yeah. He's like, uh, it was like, no wonder he ended up in Blue Velvet, you know, because he's just right. too perfect. That's exactly too right. Perfect. And he was a child star in like the 40s or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. One of, I mean, he died, I think, recently last year, but he was one of the final like living stars from the golden age of Hollywood. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. He was in Midsummer Night's Dream or something yeah. like that. He was like a Mickey Rooney type. Uh, right, and the movie Compulsion with Orson Welles, which he was like in college at that point, which is a Leopold Loeb type movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other guy in that was somebody famous too. I can't remember. God, I forgot about that. It's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. Yeah, well, I love as, everything well. Yeah, it's not as good as like, Rope, the other uh, Hitchcock's Leopold and Loeb take, right. which is, I love Rope. But yeah. it, Compulsion is good, too. Yeah. Uh, um, and, of course, Quantum Leap. You can't, you can't not talk about Quantum yeah. Leap, Dean Stockwell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, more documentaries. Silence of the Lambs, of course, big hit. Some stuff, documentaries. A ton, it's really, he did a lot of that in his last, uh, uh, you know, 
part of his career. That's why he has such an eye for realism and, yeah. and what's really happening. That his movies do have an intense kind of realism yeah. to them. That uh, it's you're not escaping like movies they talk about as escapism. I don't think his movies are no, they're all very like even yeah. when they're an escapist movie like something wild or Melvin and Howard. Like yeah. they're still like tied enough to the real world that they're. Not they really quite escaping. Yeah, and they feel they feel right. And even you know, Philadelphia and Last Embraced are highly stylized more than the other movies we talked about, camera work wise and mm-hmm. editing wise. But even then on an emotional level feel very real. Yeah. 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 So there's always that there. Um so yeah, last couple of movies he made, a Tony Morrison adaptation called Beloved, which I have not seen I with Danny Glover. Truth about Charlie is a strange uh, remake of of Charade. With Mark Wahlberg as Cary Grant. Doesn't hey, make any go. sense. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. I guess. Did another remake of The Manchurian Candidate, which we'll we'll get an episode on that because we also want to talk about Frankenheimer's Manchurian yeah, Candidate yeah, yeah. as a special feature. Yeah. And then his last two movies that were narrative movies, uh, you know, he filmed plays, he did documentaries, concert films, but his last two movies were Rachel Getting Married, which Anne Hathaway was nominated for an Oscar, another another uh, to another that tally. Wow. That's a good movie. I saw that in the theater when I it first came it. out, two thousand eight. I haven't seen it since then, but I might rewatch it if we. Well, we will do a second John. Yeah, Demi we'll do Fisher. a second John. Demi and Fisher. his final movie, twenty fifteen, was Ricky and the Flash, which Meryl Streep as a rock star. Yeah, no. you pointed that one out. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw that either. No, I never saw that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was a very big hit, but that was his last movie. He uh, unfortunately died a couple years ago, but mm. yeah, he will be missed. He is a yeah. he's a hell of a director. Yeah, and hell of a director. There you go. Great stuff. What are we doing next? Do we know? We don't know. We don't know. All but right. You know what? Whatever's next is next. Yowza! 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 <laughs> yowza! 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 All right. Five films from Jonathan Demme. I'm Todd Edmondson. And I'm Matt Kennedy. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.